your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Another episode of Morelia Python Radio. Uh, I am rushing to the microphone tonight, uh, just making it by the skin of my teeth as I was out house hunting all day. Oh, and you know the joys of house hunting, isn't it fabulous? No, no, there are no joys. There are no joys of house hunting. I mean, so it's, I mean, it's cool wandering around looking at places and going like, I could put snakes in here. And like, that's, that's kind of cool. But then even after you're like, all right, let's go. It it took me, I want to say almost two months from the second I said, yeah, let's put in the offer to uh, closing. And those two months were absolute hell. You know, they, they, of course, anybody who's ever bought in a house will know they're going to go through everything in your financials. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. It's it's one of those things that kind of does leave a very foul taste in your mouth after it's done, and it's one of those. Thank God it's a thirty-year mortgage, because then I don't have to deal with this ever again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we we're out in the uh, uh, Warminster, which is uh, maybe forty minutes away from where I'm at now, um, give or take. Right. Um, but uh, it's funny, you know, we were out all around like Bucks County and stuff, which is like right outside Philadelphia. And it's kind of like what we were looking for to go, you know, on the outskirts of Philly, the suburbs up there where it's nice and quiet. And, you know, because Pennsylvania is actually quite, quite pretty. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty nice place. But as long as you're outside of Philadelphia, you're good, right? <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> yes, as long as you're outside of Philadelphia, Pittsburgh or Harrisburg. Pennsylvania is very pretty. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's funny. Um, 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 we're like walking around. We're looking at these different houses. And my sister is our realtor. So she's like, mm-hmm. you know, she knows that Dory wants a big yard. Um, and, you know, she knows that I want uh, what they were making fun of me is calling it a snake room. Um, so yes, <laughs> after <man>. – uh, <laughs> As we're walking around and they're like, you know, oh, well, where would you, where are you going to put the snake room? And they're like, huh? What, 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 a what? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I keep snakes and, you know, so anyway, we found, we found the spot. I think, uh, you know, I think we're going to move ahead with it from there, but um, providing everything works out, uh, that's where the 2617 Carpet Fest will be. Um, oh, thank God. I mean, yes. That's good. But here, here's the cool but thing about this spot. Um, yard, the yard is huge. Um, it's huge. Uh-huh. And um, it's uh, it's got an in-ground pool that's huge. Nice. So nice. That's, a, that's a nice uh, added bonus. So, uh, it's got, like, a real nice deck. Um, house is, is nice and big. Um kind of away nice. from people. Um, we don't like people. And, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and the cool thing is now this was the coolest part of it all. So uh-huh. ha- she has like this. Uh, so there's, there's a normal house. So in, in their basement, they like, they've finished it and it's all redone. So they have like an entertainment room. Um, yeah. And then they have another um, bedroom. Uh, uh, like a, it's huge. It's a huge bedroom, which I guess that would become, NPR studios down there in the basement. And then, 
uh, across, they have a, a door where you can go out. And what she has is like uh, they build on a, a wing to the house where she actually cuts hair. So uh, she has like a full salon in there, which obviously would become the snake room, um, you know, and it's and then it can expand. It can get bigger. because oh. they, didn't, they didn't finish okay. it because uh, and it has a separate entrance and uh, a skylight and, uh, you know, all these things are going through my head. Oh, my God, it was crazy. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. But OK, that's so, that, that might. That might be the ticket because if it's a salon, we're talking tile floor. We're talking there's going to be plumbing. It uh, has a sink. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. But every herpet uh, doesn't know they need. Yeah. Dude, okay. I mean, that sounds like fun. Yeah, like uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, uh, I'm, I'm saying, oh my god, this is this is like when I was young and learning to play guitar on that piece of shit K guitar. And it's the action made my fingers bleed, and the strings were rusty and old, but somehow I made it right. sound like music. And then I picked up a Gibson Les Paul, and it was like, oh my God, this is heaven. Things, so, so like, much, things can be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> you could be so it's much like, more efficient. <laughs> you, you wandered back into your house, and you're like, ah. <laughs> it's. Like, <laughs> it's it is, and I love it because I'm in Warminster all the time because, of course, I still have family that live near Warminster and, you know, uh, several oh, cool. friends in Warminster. Yeah, so I know exactly kind of the area you're talking about, which is great because when you and Dory come home and I'm floating in your pool, you cannot <laughs> be surprised anymore. Yeah, it's okay. You just have to walk around <laughs> and be like, hello, Owen, and then keep walking. It's like, okay, yeah. so it's fine. That, no no problem. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean that's that's what's going on with me today. Um, I guess the other thing that uh, well, uh, before we keep going with that, uh, till uh, we're talking with Lance Portal tonight, uh, we're going to be talking Maclots mm-hmm. pythons. Uh, I know this is one that's near and dear to your heart, Owen. Uh, Makes you know, me happy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, cool species for sure. Not a lot of love going around about the uh, Maclots, so. Hopefully tonight we can get people jazzed up about it. Um, some of the uh, Moralia Python Radio fans were pretty excited about the fact that we were doing a Liasis show. Um, so it uh, started a post about doing a Liasis roundtable. And um, I think that might be in the works. So Excellent. Uh, uh, that uh, is a very strong possibility. I have to line up a few other people. And uh, I think uh, I think that will be a cool cool show for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but before we get going with that, uh, as we wait here for uh, for Lance to call in, um, the uh, the one thing that's going on with my collection um, is I have a snake that's about to probably lay a clutch of either slugs or eggs. <laughs> Um, yes. Poison ivy. I believe. Uh, I believe it's going to be a mixture of both. You're going to get like two good ones and then like twelve slugs. So yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'll take two. I'll take two. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. fine with me. Both um, girls. Damn it. So. Um, <laughs> but the screwy but thing is, the, yeah, yeah, there's a couple screwy things. The fact that she's going to lay a clutch mm-hmm. uh, in what is now July. Um, 
is a little strange. Um, For an IJ, yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can think of, and, and you know, as I, as we were driving around today, I was I was going over like what this could be. So, um, just so everybody knows the history, real quick, she 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 was bred in December. Uh, but she came up with a, an RI, so immediately I stopped. I stopped breeding her, but I did catch maybe three or four locks, uh, and I was breeding her with the Tiger IJ. Um, right. So she so she bred with him. Um, I separated. Um, I treated her, as everybody knows. Uh, she had she had minor RI. It was in and out, no problems. You know, back back to going. Um, <clears throat> I kind of gave her a break because you know. I, I didn't feed uh, during that time, uh, but then you know she came up on the um, the warm up, and I just started pounding her with food because I was in anticipation that I was going to breed her in twenty, you know, next year. What would that be? Twenty seventeen, yeah. I guess. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, the twenty seventeen um, season. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, that's what that's what I was shooting for. Turns out the now this was about a month ago. I noticed that she was swelling, and I think maybe like a couple of weeks ago I mentioned it on the show, and I'm like, you know, something's something's just not is different about her, and she shed. Um, right. But what was weird after she shed, she just stopped eating, and that's not like her at all. So the other day, <laughs> I was I was cleaning, and I go and I open up her tub, and sure enough, she looked like she was dead. And I am freaking out. Oh, my God. I was freaking out. Um, But she was basking belly up. Yep. I don't, you know. uh, I'm like, huh. You send me those pictures, and she's all twisted around. And it's like, and here I'm like, oh, crap. And then you're like, she's basking belly up. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. So it's one of those, oh, good, she's alive. Oh, shit. Why is she basking belly up? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so. shit. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, you know, of course, I, I messaged uh, Nick Nick this morning, and, uh, you know, I was asking him about it, and he was saying, I'm going to send a picture over in the chat now, but uh, he was saying that, um, yeah, that's how I found her, just like that. Um, mm-hmm. And she definitely is swollen, and I put arrows where the two spots were, where, uh, you know, where where it, it was. Fancy. So. <laughs> High end, baby. <clears throat> um, Shut up. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, so like I said, late in the season or very early in the season, one or the other. Uh, but I, I would imagine that's going to be a, a, a clutch of, of slugs. Um, and that's going to set my poison Ivy project back. Um, so <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. So, yeah. We, we were talking about that before the show. I'm like, she's going to lay a clutch at like the end of July, early August. And, then she's going to go off food for like August and September, which means right when you get to the cool down in October, she's just going to be taking her first meal, which is totally going to like torpedo everything you have planned for 17. Uh, that plus your move. Oh yeah. It, oh God. Yeah. Uh, poison Ivy is giving you one lovely kick right to the gentleman region right now. So <laughs> um, yeah. we'll see how she does, but they, they, this kind of stuff will throw a wrench in the works. And I had, uh, my M10 female drop a clutch in late July once myself, and not only was it hard to get her back up and rolling, but the babies themselves that hatched, they didn't hatch till the end of September. And 
Wow. Trying to get babies going when their bodies are like, we should, you know, not eat and cool down now. It's like, no, no, food is good. So it was, you know, that's something else you're going to have to kind of factor into it too. So have fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Damn, loads of fun over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't. Uh, it's it's crazy. But uh, so what's going on with you? Uh, I got one last clutch in the incubator that is due to hatch on the 19th. So home stretch, the last couple babies, and then we're done. So, uh, and it's a high contrast Queensland to a red jack. So, okay. I have no idea what they're going to look like is what I'm telling you. (laughs) So, uh, there's that, um, other than that, it's looking like I will be going to the Oaks show this Saturday, followed by the White Plains show this Sunday. Um, so I don't know if anybody's going up there, if they were interested in stuff I can bring, or if you're just going to try to catch me and say, hey, that's cool. Um, and then that's pretty much all I got going on over here. It's been roughly very quiet as we kind of head into uh summer stuff i mean everybody's a lot of the babies are eating i still have a few non-feeders but nothing horrible and said we got the one last clutch there's been no surprise like late clutches over here um seems to be all you're doing so yeah yeah uh yeah it's uh hopefully that's it you know because i turned my incubator off so it's like uh (laughs) kind of one of those things but um yeah, so uh, let's see. Um, is there any, I, I, honestly, man, the past uh, week I really haven't been uh, seeing too much of what's been going on out there in the world. Um, I don't really know. Um, You've been busy. But there, was that, there was that one thing I sent you the other day from Psychotic Exotic. Oh, yeah, that that uh, it's like an all-black carpet, similar to the thing that um, – uh, it looked like uh, what's his name? Uh, Don. Don Patterson hatched out. Yeah, but it looks like theirs has like a few like almost silver scales going down the sides. It almost yeah. looks like a very 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 dark Maclots python. So that's what led you and I to believe that it's some kind of super zebra granite, yeah, granite something or other. So I would be interested to see what the hell uh, it is when they eventually tell us. But it would be very cool to see also as it grows up a little bit because I know we said that it was really, really dark, but still a baby. It hasn't had its first few sheds, so no idea if it's going to lighten up a little bit or what it's going to look like. But still, that's that's two of the same kind of carpet pythons where they're very, very, very dark. And I would love to know what the combinations are because we're looking at a new thing of like putting together – this plus this and this gets these really, really dark, almost all black carpet pythons. That's kind of awesome. Even if it is a horrible Uber mud. So. <laughs> a horrible Uber mud. I like that. <laughs> I said it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, for all, for, we don't really know. I mean, it could have some diamond blood. It could be those things. The zebras that were used could be diamond gamma zebras mixed with granite jags, head albino. I don't know. You could have so many things in there 
that the, one of the results was an almost all-black carpet python because it, it what I've tried to explain to some people when it comes to uh, colors and snakes, it, it's not really like mixing paint, you know, it, but here comes these really dark carpet pythons where it's like if you threw all those colors together, maybe you did get black. So who knows? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I would much rather have it just be pure IJ and be all black, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> can't, you can't, can't, you can't always get what you want because yeah. we've talked numerous times about how I would kill to have the pure albino coastals here because then I can do all those mixes and not have to worry about Darwin blood in my son. Yeah. No I don't know, man. I, I, it seems like um, over the past month or maybe month and a half, um, I, I don't want to say that I'm losing my <clears throat> um, uh, what would the word be? Not, not I, I'm not losing my love for the uh, Scott Borden. Will be happy about this one for sure. But uh, I, I'm appreciating more the uh, <laughs> the subspecies. Without uh-huh. any morphs, you know what I'm saying? Just like, uh, right. I think it's because my coastals that I've been growing up are coming of age and they're really looking sharp, man. And, you know, I don't know that the, the selective breeding is just, the potential is just insane. And, you know, right. I don't know. And then I look at my albino jag as it just zoops, zooms around, <laughs> you know, it loops, loops the hell out. And I'm like, switches, yeah. um, I don't know, oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, but then you're uh, also talking about locality stuff. Like, if I see another picture of your Brisbane's, I, I Brisbane's, Brisbane's, I'm sorry. Um, if I see <laughs> another picture of your Brisbane's, I'm I'm probably going to end up just throwing money at whoever offers them to me next. It's yeah. it's one of those things oh, where, dude. but that's stop it. Those are coastals, and that's yeah. my bread and butter. Some yeah, people man. might look at that and be like, eh. Eh, it's a coastal, whatever. Even then, I do it where it's like Rockhamptons do nothing for me. I don't know why. Right. They just don't. It's a coastal. Right. They're nice. Am I going to spend the extra money on them? Probably not. Brisbane's, though. Mm. Yeah. See, it's funny. It's going to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny Ooh, how it people like different things, you know. But, um, yeah. you know, as we're going to go into Maclots and we're going to be talking about to Maclots in about, you know, a couple minutes, but um, I think the thing, I don't know how you feel. And I kind of looked, I was, you know, as I was doing some research for the show um, down at the bottom of the outline that I sent you, you remember that thread way back when of this um, uh, Maclots that had like the yellow head and the, yeah, that at the, the bottom of one. the outline. Yeah. I- I see it and it tortures my soul. So here's the thing. Like when you look at that thread and you read that thread on the thread, the people are like, I guess I'm going to have to start keeping Maclots now. And I'm like, come on, man. Wait wait a minute. Maclots because they're cool. Did it have to have a yellow head in order for you to keep them? They're just cool snakes. It is what it is. And also I think that anybody who doesn't know what they're getting into with a Maclot or a Lias is, I mean, Sometimes they can be a little nasty bastards. Um, so I can see where some people, you always have the people who are like, I don't want that one because I heard they're nasty. It's like, well, it's a python. If you want unconditional love from a small creature, get a bunny. So it's <laughs> like, 
So it, it's kind of like that, but it, 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 you see that happen with every single species. Once a morph pops out, it's always you have the idiots who never, ever imagined keeping it and probably will never, ever keep it. Are always uh-huh. the first comments are, guess I better start keeping insert python here. You know, the second an albino Timor python shows up, everybody's going to go, man, I guess I got to start keeping Timors. No one's going to do it other than the people who already are in it or have had a small inkling to want to keep them, but everybody's got to comment on it. Like we right. desperately needed their interjection of whatever the hell. But anyway. <laughs> right. I digress. The world will not if, – if, if I don't comment about how I need to start keeping these pythons now, the world will surely stop spinning. So <laughs> – uh, all right, well, let's get uh, let's get Lance on here, and let's get people fired up about some Maclots pythons. Let's get them going, and uh, you know, create a whole new wave in the herpticulture world uh, of Stop love it. for Maclots pythons. I don't, these, I don't want these people near my Maclots pythons. Get out of here. <laughs> so. All right, hey, hey, Lance, uh, is that you? You on the on the line there? Hello. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, what's good? What's going on, sir? How's it going? Uh, we're going yeah, good. We're going all right. Yes, yes. I heard your house hunting. I just did that last year myself. It is not uh, fun. <laughs> no way, man. No one enjoys it. No one enjoys it. Uh, it's it's nice. Are, to, it's nice that they went to the government, but it's uh, it's yeah. kind of pain. You know, it's very invasive, and <laughs> and then uh, your realtor looks at you funny when you tell me I have reptiles, and it's a it's a joyful experience. Yeah. 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 Well, luckily yeah, for no me, my sister's my realtor, so she already looks at me uh, twisted. So it's it's all right. <laughs> but, <laughs> good night. Good night. <laughs> cool. All right, let's get into it. All right, uh, Lance, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got your start into reptiles and how was it Gexware came about? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, originally I just kind of did what a lot of people do and just went by Lance Pro Reptiles for a number of years. Uh, Gexler kind of came along later, and that's a um, – but, uh, yeah, pretty much um, I did what most people do. You know, I kind of always had an interest in it when I was a kid, and actually I didn't start collecting until I joined the military, and then I started collecting reptiles. I'd say it was probably about 20, you know, did the whole uh, bearded dragon and savannah monitors and boas and – different things like that, and uh, I really got into the breeding aspect um, with uh, tokays, actually, and I, I still actually breed tokays, and everybody looks at me kind of crazy when I tell them I do that, and they're like, what are you doing? But, uh, yeah, so I, I've pretty much been breeding ever since. Nice. Yeah. So, and then can I'm, you... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, please, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, I, I, I've kind of... Uh, you know, I, I always say, like, I'm trying to figure out where I belong in the reptile world, and, you know, I've tried different uh, different pythons and boas and geckos and lizards and frogs and amphibians and, you know, just trying to figure out things I like the most. And uh, it was kind of interesting because, you know, about, say, almost about eight years ago, somebody told me about these Maclot things, and I was like, mm-hmm. what the heck is this thing, you know? And, and I saw one. I was like, this is so cool. People are trying to produce this as a morph, and there's a snake already. I kind of got interested in just by appearance and then, uh, you know, uh, talked to some people that have had them and just kind of drew an interest in them. Awesome. 
can you uh, give us a little overview of your collection right now? What are you working with reptile-wise? Yeah, so um, based on the name Gexware, I do a lot of gecko species. Um, I mean, I have everything from, you know, wackadactylus stuff, you know, your crustage, your gargoyles, your lechionis, things like that, and a couple other odd geckos you just normally don't see. There's like a, have some oceanic geckos, which are pretty rare and uncommon in the industry nowadays. And then, of course, tokays and some different tokay morphs. Um, but really one of my interesting things that I always have liked is carpet pythons too, you know, um, like the mm-hmm. guys. But uh, yeah, I, I, so I have I have some different carpets that I can play with, and of course the Maclot, and I still have a bunch of Pac-Man frogs. Boy, what else do I have right now? Boy, you got me going. Uh, Monitors, mm-hmm. that's another one I've been playing with too, and uh, they've always kind of scared me, and actually it piques my interest even more once I got to play with a really big uh, water monitor a friend of mine had, and I was like, I got to work with these things because they're just so much fun. Yeah, monitors are fun to play with. It's better when they go home with their owners, so. though. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I have Nile monitors right now, and uh, the male mm. just became sexually mature, so now I'm not allowed to go in the cage. So yeah. I've never been thrown out of a cage by a reptile before, but there we go. So. <laughs> Thank you, man. So what uh, what monitors are you working with right now? Um, so I, I was playing with Ackies for a while, uh, but it seems like that's the new thing just because they're a small, easy, very social one. Um, so I started looking towards the bigger ones, um, mainly because, you know, uh, there's not very much captive breeding going on with them. It's usually a lot of importation, things like that. Um, so I was kind of uh, just interested in getting a lot of different ones like that. Like, uh, you know, when you talked about Niles and one of the – um, one of them I really want to play with is your Nate monitors. Um, mm-hmm. Some better things about them. It seems like they're a little little better than a Nile. Um, then of course yeah, just better the Asian waters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and what's the ones that are in your living room? Is that Niles? Those are the those are the Niles. Those are the Niles. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Those are those, the Nile waters. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Cool. So, you know, I think one of the things that uh, for for the longest time we were trying to to get more people that are into Liasis on the show and and get people talking about it. And I think I saw one of your posts and what prompted me to contact you was that you said something about that, you know, you don't really see um, Maclots too much in the hobby. Like there's not too many people working with it. Maybe what would you say? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's like a maybe a clutch or two a year. Uh, you know, uh, that, that pop up and, um, you know, I mean, what, what is your, uh, uh, what led you to, you know, want to, want to breed these guys and, you know, what kind of, what kind of group do you have? And, you know, I don't know, just what, what drove you to be, uh, you know, jazzed up about, uh, Maclots pythons? Yeah. So, um, I do shows out here in the Northwest and I've been doing it for a number of years and one of the, you know, kind of main uh, local royalties of the reptile industry over here is uh, Nick. Well, mm. over the years I've seen Nick had him on his table, and, of course, he plays with olives and kind of just uh, what I call more bland-patterned reptiles, you know, because I really like the olives. Right. I like the waters. I like the max, you know, things like that. And, of course, Savu is kind of a neat one um, that's a little more patterned, of course. 
but I just saw them and something just intrigued me. Um, so I ended up getting some from him years ago, and uh, they were to uh, I think they were the Timor locality stuff, which is the most common thing you find from Indonesia. But uh, I got a pair of him, and he was pretty much like, "I'm sick of these things, sell them to you." And I was like, "Cool, let me play with them." And then of course, about four months later, I show him a picture of him locked up, and of course he's all mad now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. And yeah. uh, that's kind of how I got but, my, uh, Max, well, my my Max came from Eric because he got tired of them and pissed off at yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've 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 had I've, I've you know I think I have a couple of his line too here at the house, and I've known Eric for years. Also, me and him will talk about the you know because there's like pretty much three different subspecies of these things, and they all have a little bit different appearance and different sizing. Um, I don't know much about the other two localities just because you can't get them. Um, there's right. something possible to find. So I, I never really focused on those. And, you know, Eric, he's been working on, I think it's the Rhodey, um Island locality for years, and he's had the, you know, not very good luck in obtaining specimens and different things. So I've just kept mm-hmm. with uh, the Timor locality, which are the easiest. Um, well, but yeah, I just, uh, yeah. Do you know what the, what the uh, difference is, like, uh, as far as the, you know, you're saying that they might be subspecies, as, uh, even if it's the t- the t- Timor ones. You know what what is it that separates them? I'm not 100 percent sure, and he'd be a better person to ask, of course, because he actually has some, um, and he has both. You know, both of them to look at. Um, but uh, it looks like okay. um, it's a lot from the pictures and stuff that I've seen and we've shared. You know, it's a lot darker animal, um, and I don't think they're as big. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, like I often like one of the things I don't know what you guys think and I'm I'm curious, you know, sometimes you see these things that pop up like that are current and you see like um that you think that maybe at one point they might be rare. Um in particular, um uh, I think of my IJs and this pet last year I picked up a clutch uh, not a clutch. I picked up a 2.2 group of uh, what you would call wild caught, I guess, you know, captive hatched, whatever you want to say. Um, And the reason is I just think like after talking to so many people over the years on the podcast that, you know, these things pop up and then nobody gives a crap about them and then they disappear, you know, and you can't get them again. And I'm just always fearful that there's not somebody out there that is working with, you know, uh, stuff like what you're saying, these different lines and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of crazy. I don't know. Do you guys think about that stuff? Uh, you know, do you think like, oh man, I better I better get a pair of these and hold on to them so they don't get lost into uh, you know. Uh, I don't think that way, but my wallet does because then it's like, <laughs> like right like right now it's like you only have a female Timor python, Owen, and it's like I know, and then like every once that happens, it's like everybody has baby male Timor pythons that they're trying to sell, and I'm like, crap, no. So, um, like right now in my brain, it's like buy it now, otherwise you'll never see them again. So, I've been resisting yeah. though, so I'm proud of myself. But right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Well, it kind of kind of reminds thinking. me of uh, ring pythons. I mean, I haven't yeah. heard of anybody producing clutches in a long time, and for a while there, I tried, but I could only get males. And you couldn't find a female, so I eventually gave up. But I had five males I was hoarding, 
just <laughs> to pray the fact that I'd find a female. And right. It never happened. Right. Now okay, they're so, everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's it's like no. it goes in waves, you know? It's like one of those things that, you know, it's like nowhere. But you just hope that it just doesn't wave out completely. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so you're working with the the uh, the team wars, okay? Um, so the one thing um, that I saw that you had a pairing this year that you know the clutch that uh, I was talking about is um, mm-hmm. it's uh, Bob and the Odd Son pairing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, so yeah, so one of my first clutches I produced, I had the traditional, just kind of there always been this kind of a dark uh, dark olive with light olive freckles. And mm-hmm. one of them just piqued me off as being a little odd because it seemed it was the other way around. You saw more of that lighter olive with a dark freckling, whether or not it was an actual reverse in color or just more abundant of the lighter color than the dark color. Um, but just something intrigued me about it, and it just looked extremely off from the rest of the litter. And then, of course, you know, produce another litter the next year, and that one was still extremely different. Um, so I, I – my kind of just held it back and and you know of course the I hate to say this but the bull python craze kicks into your head going that odd one could be could be that next like it morph you know right so I right. held it back just for that one reason alone it wasn't necessarily like he was the biggest or the most beautiful and it was a male so um yeah I just held on to him for the longest time and uh you know this year I felt like he was big enough and and you know, size-wise, clearly my female, the breeder female is a tank. I kind of joke about it. she looks like a, like a little retic. She's so big. And uh, so I've always been afraid to put a small, small male in with her just because of the size difference. And sometimes she is very food aggressive. Um, so I just, I, I, this year I was like, I'm going to line breed them, see what happens, and uh, just go from there. Worst case scenario, I just produce a nice max, no big deal. But then if, you know, that was, you know, a, a signature marker for something interesting, it would be neat to kind of just see what happens, you know. Cool. Very yeah, cool. I I think I'm trying to find that picture of the one that I gave you, Owen, to see. Um, I think it's somewhat similar kind of look. I don't know uh, if you have that picture. I was going to post it over in the, the chat. Let me, yeah, I'll, it's, I'll see. You it's like reverse. You keep talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you bred that pairing this year, and um, the yeah. babies hatched out, and they're very dark, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that, and I from previous years and me looking at pictures of other clutches, um, they all pretty much hatch out what looks to be black, and of course, the flashier photography doesn't help, and things like that. Um, but I really don't notice that actual color stand out. And I think it was within a couple sheds of them being born. Then you'll see kind of that true pattern and coloration of what they are. But like, you know, right before, uh, you know, before I got on the phone, I was actually taking a flashlight and turning out the lights and bright LED and kind of going over each one of them. And of course there's some that you look at and be like, oh yeah, that guy's dark. And then there's some you look <laughs> at and it's like, man, that thing is really light olive. So it'll be interesting to see what these things do when they uh, start going. Of course, this could be nothing more than just, you know, you know, just a physical, you know, lightness other than actually morphology. So 
Sure. Just trying to, you know, <clears throat> who knows if it's actually anything? And 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 I've seen other people hatch out what I consider like that reverse coloration where they're lighter instead of darker. And and to be honest with you, that's the one thing that's really triggered me with these guys is the fact they do have that really really light olive color, and I do like that color a lot too. So right. Yeah, they're. <clears throat> I think um, I don't know, like how you how you feel, but I think for me, what triggered me to to pick up some of them um, a couple years ago was the fact that I saw an adult in a pet shop, and I was just blown away about how cool they looked as an adult. You never really see, you know, adults floating around. You know, I don't see them at reptile shows, or I don't see them in people's collections that I know. You know, and it's just like, wow, that is cool. You know, well, mm-hmm. oh, and this is pre before you had them. Oh, God, <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, but God. pretty impressive animals for sure. Very oh, yeah. Um, so you guys okay. collect them too also then? Uh, yeah, so. Eric doesn't. I do. <laughs> so, yeah. I had them, um, and I gave them to Owen. And, uh-huh. yeah. um this is the second that time. That started my thing, yeah. So, um, uh, the second time, I just, you know, it was like space was um, space was an issue for me. So I was like, oh, man, you know, I have them. I know that I'm going to want these again at some point, but um, I know that Owen has a group of them. So I'm just going to give them to him, and he's going to breed them at some point. And, you know, if I want to get a pair back, I know where they're at, you know, that kind of deal. So... Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll mm-hmm. breed them at some point, and <laughs> it's like yeah, having them on. Somebody to talk to, yeah. Now I know somebody to talk to <laughs> to get some more bloodlines because over here in the Northwest, we're we're pretty limited. I, you know, it's either me or Nick, or you know, I'm getting from the East Coast, and that's about it nowadays. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I have, I have two point two. Um, nice. All from different. Kind of, I think the only ones that are related are the ones I just got from Eric, or to think from Ryan Young. Everybody else is mm-hmm. like ran, uh, random pickup here, random pickup there. So yeah, yep. we're we're growing up. I think we're we're. I'm yeah. sending a male away to breed this summer, so hopefully we'll get a clutch coming up because they're they're like one of the ones that's like I'm doing all these morph carpet pythons. But you want to ask me what I'm most excited about? I'm really hoping I get Maclex this year. I don't really care about the carpet clutches, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about like uh, your setup. We'll talk about you know how you set them up from growing them up to adults um, and babies. We'll get into later on, but um, you know maybe your caging. Uh, what's your run? Your temp set feeding. You know any other things that you think. Uh, you know, should be known with, with, if you want to get into these guys, that type of stuff. Sure. Sure. So, um, you know, care is pretty easy. I mean, if you can care for a carpet python, I mean, the care I think is pretty similar. They do like a little bit colder. So, you know, you can, you can be, you know, instead of like your, you know, your mid eighties or high eighties, you can actually be lower into the eighties. Um, I found they actually do pretty well. Um, the hotter they get, the, it seems like it really increases their metabolism, and they're always hungry. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as caging go, um, like I posted pictures, and people go, holy crap, this huge cage. Um, one of the things I've done is actually made it so it's like literally like one-fourth of the cage is water, 
and the other two thirds of the cage is, you know, uh, bedding and 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 logs for them to climb on and things like that. Um, but I, huh. I found they really really like a deep, like big pool of water. Um, huh. And that's something I've been doing. Like, uh, you know, usually I'll keep, uh, you know, my adult pair. Um, they stay together most of the time. Um, and I've found that I, I give them more room and they do a lot better. I think my adult cage, I mean, we're talking over like two feet deep, about two and a half feet tall and about six feet wide. And um, they do, I think they do really well in there. Um, and then, of course, my smaller ones, I'll kind of house them. Um, you know, I've done the CB70 tubs and hatchling racks for babies and kind of in between those sizes for the other ones. Um, but they do really well on just about every substrate. I really haven't found something that they do poorly on. And then, of oh, course, feeding, I kind of – oh, uh, sorry. But uh, uh, as far as feeding goes um, – I kind of joke about they're kind of garbage disposals. Everything also eaten. Hmm. I'll have a tray of food left. And I'll just be like, some mackerel will eat this, you know. So it's kind of nice. And they eat everything, which is another nice thing, too. So whether I'm unthought chickens or mice or rats or, you know, whatever, they'll they pretty much go for everything. Wow. So <clears throat> they're, uh, they're a high metabolism, you know, go, go, go snake type of thing. It seems uh, like oh, yeah. it. I mean, I, I noticed. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'll notice the bulge go away. You know, if you you feed a you feed a you know carpet python, you'll look back and it seems like even a couple of days later, it's like, gosh, he's still got that food in him. You know, look at the maclot and skinny again. You know. Do they do they do like what I'm noticing with my um, olive pythons is that even if they don't eat, they still grow. Um, <laughs> it's like every time I open up the the cage, it's like they're bigger. And I'm like, well, I didn't, what the hell? I didn't feed you guys. Um, so, uh, is that the same thing with these guys? Have you noticed like, uh, they're just, uh, you know, growing without yeah, necessarily no, pounding them with food? Yes. I mean, I don't have an olive python. I've always wanted to get some of those guys to compare. Oh. Um, <laughs> but one thing I'll know is they will, you know, double, you know, double outgrow a carpet python, no doubt. Yeah, uh, cool. I have a pair of olives. I can completely agree with that statement. They, olive pythons are never, ever satiated. They're always hungry, more so than a mac ever will be. Yeah. Like right now, I'm sitting in my snake room, and my olive pythons are the only snakes that are actually moving around. Everybody else is like asleep or basking or doing whatever. They are up against the cage, whipping around, looking for food. And they both ate guinea pigs like five, four days ago. So I don't, they shouldn't be hungry. So, um, but they are always, always hungry. Um, yeah. But I love olive pythons. So. so do you do any kind of varied diet with these guys or just straight, uh, you know, mice, rats, rats, you know, as adults type of deal? Yeah, mainly um, every once in a while, you know, like right now in the summer, like I live in the Pacific Northwest, and, you know, this is kind of, you know, uh, chicken time frame for us. Um, so there's always seems to be chicks at the feed stores and things like that. And those guys will save me if a chick, you know, died this morning. They'll call me up and go, hey, there's some chicks in the freezer for you, and I'll go pick them up. And 
and uh, things like that. I, I, I do like to give them a diverse diet, and I like to do that with a lot of different species I keep. Um, uh-huh. Just because I, you know, I, I always think of rodent diet strictly as just really, you know, especially for species that may not eat, you know, like European rodent all the time. You know, it's kind of like a, like to diverse their diet out, maybe give them something that's not as so fatty. So chicken's a nice way to go. Um, right. But I've done everything. Um, another one is one of my rodent suppliers. Um, every once in a while, we'll have pretty much pinky bunnies. And that's another one I like to Ooh. do. And that's kind of a neat. Uh, it, they respond so differently to that smell. It's, it kind of reminds me, like I have a two-year-old, and it's like the first time mm-hmm. I give him, give him ice cream, he looks at me like, what the heck is this stuff? And <laughs> you'll get a weird, like, <laughs> flick it. <laughs> Uh, they'll, they'll they'll flick at it and then pull back and go. I don't know if I should eat this, but I'm gonna do it. You know, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting to to mix up their diet and I I kind of just do it out of like just because I you know I I get bored eating the same thing. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Now, yeah. like, whether, that's whether why or not I know... anything I do is technically the right way or wrong way, I I have <laughs> kind of always just done. You know, kind of what's what's easiest for me, and and the animals respond to it. You know. Well, the one hey, thing that we uh, the one thing that we always preach on on the show is that you know there's so many different ways, and so, I, I I believe that there's you know I'll just pick a number. I believe that there's you know like say five triggers to breed pythons. If you hit on mm-hmm. any two of them, you know you're gonna have success. Um, so mm-hmm. depending on where you are, you tweak it, you know, you just try to understand the, uh, you know, what kind of makes the thing tick. And then, you know, you can kind of tweak it from there uh, by watching the snake, you know, I mean, um, mm-hmm. I think a, a good example would be, um, I think of, uh, Bill Stiegel down in Texas, like, um, you know, because he has such a hard time with getting the temps, uh, cool. Um, he's not going to breed snakes the same way that I'm going to breed snakes up on the far Northeast where it's much mm-hmm. easier for me to get those cool temps, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's why it's always good to hear different points of view. And I think it gets people thinking and, you know, um, I mean, you're having success, so you're doing something right, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a big thing about the Pacific Northwest, you know, we're, we're colder temperature. I mean, it was raining, and like 60 degrees today. So, right. you know, our summers are a lot more mild. And, you know, there's some place in Oregon where it's just 60 all the time. You know, you go to the coast and everybody thinks the beach and swimsuits and all that stuff. And down here it's like sweatshirts, hoodies, coats, you know, in the middle right. of August. So, wow. you know, those type of things. Um, yeah, it's kind of tricky when you're trying to, you know, to trigger them into a cold cycle to – go ahead and breeding when the temperature is just as hot in the summer as it is in the winter, you know? So it, wow. It does make it kind of tricky out here. Um, but you know, like, I, I mean, we just do what works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I guess, um, I know you had mentioned that you, you have big water, uh, bowls for these guys or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, so that these guys can get in there and, and get water. Is it similar to like with, uh, say, a ring python or a white lip, where if they don't have that that water, um, that they start to have issues? Or um, have you no, noticed anything with that? Not really. I mean, I've done the 
you know, like in some of the CB70 tubs, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Vision or one of those type of systems. They actually build like a, looks like a four-inch deli cup water hole in them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that, no problem. They drink out of everything. Um, I've really found the water bowl is more essential for the adults than it has been for the babies. I mean, babies like to soak and the young ones like to soak too. But I found it really helps when it goes into breeding time. That's like one of the first things I do when, when I try to cycle them for breeding is put a giant tub of water in there and keep that thing full all the time and clean. Um, and I actually get them breeding in the water tub. So um, oh, it's wow. just something I started doing, and I really don't know if it's a good trigger, but it, I, every time I've done the water tub, I'll get some type of the male scratching, um, just showing signs that they're interested in breeding. Huh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. See, that is really <laughs> funny. Yes. Maybe that's why you're not having success with these guys. You need a big tub. Well, it <clears throat> what else is funny is that, you know, we, uh, we're over on the Morelia Python radio chat. We just got a bunch of pictures of Maclots from other people who are listening to the show. And one of them is a pair of Macs breeding in a water bowl, which uh, Brandon sent. And that's actually my male Maclots' parents. So apparently the whole breeding in the water bin is not, that much of a stretch and apparently it's happened in other pairs as well. So Huh. Yeah. I think all my la- I think all my lasses are gonna get big ass water bins in this fall. So yeah. Yeah. Um I mean I've talked with, you know, Nick and, and Eric about this one too and I always kind of wonder what their natural habitat does during their breeding cycles. They get a lot of flooding, things like that. Um, because it is something yeah. I've noticed that when it's when it's kind of that, you know, that breeding time of the year for all the other carpet pythons and ball pythons and things like that, um, it's just the 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 water bowl. I've got them to breed out of the water bowl, but I've seen more actual hookups when either part of them are submerged or just the tails are out of the water. And I've actually got a picture. It's kind of interesting because it's just a big huge water bowl. Some Pieces and their tails up in the air locked up. Huh. Huh. So it's kind of interesting. And I, ever since ever since that time, I've always just made sure that they always had a good water bowl when it was uh, breeding time. And that's hmm. a good. That's that's a good. Uh, that's a good tip. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when yours are big like enough, that. you have to try it. Yeah. 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 I cool. Think one more year before my females yeah. are big enough, or one of my girls is big enough, so I am going to try it. I'm actually going to try it this coming year with other species, like uh, I have gold-faced white lip, so I'm going to try it with them too. So, And somebody said the uh, what is it, Australian waters too? Um, that's another species you don't see much anymore, but they're kind of a dwarf you know, version of an olive, you know, really tiny guys. But, uh, yeah. you know, those guys, when I've had them in the past, uh, I couldn't get them out of the water bowl. It was like they lived in the thing. Yeah, yeah. I've had white lips that spend, like, you have to kick them out of the water bowl so you can clean mm-hmm. the water because they've been mm-hmm. in it for that long. And it's like your brain, you're like, all right, that's enough. You need fresh water. And then you kick them out, you clean the water bowl, you put it back, you fill it up with water again. And as you're walking out of the room, you see them, like, sliding back into it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly the same way. Um, 
with certain types of monitors too. I've had doom rules monitors and Nile monitors that never leave the water. So mm-hmm. sometimes it is what it is, yeah. but um, can you kind of walk us through your approach to breeding your max? Um, I mean, what did you do before the season got going to kind of get them ready for it? Um, to be honest with you, um, so I pretty much keep feeding like everybody does. You know, of course, when they go off feed, um, I really keep a lot of their heat about the same other than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the uh, just ambient room temperature. That I'll go ahead and supplement um, just because it does get in the 40s and 50s over here, um, especially at night and stuff like that, and I don't like them to get that cold, of course. But um, right. other than doing other than doing the normal temp- temperature drops and temperature shifts, kind of like you do with a carpet, um, because, just because they're in the same room with everybody, I just do everybody the same, and um, it pretty much that seems to work. Um, there's nothing really that special I do with them, um, other than like I said, the water. Um, but they always have the hot spot the same. They do get away from it. I've noticed um, they don't use it as much. And yeah, really, that's a that's about it. Okay. Kind of, kind of, it's kind of hard to go into it just because it's sort of like uh, I don't know. It's it, it you, you see it, but it's hard to describe it. Um, but they do to me. It seems like they follow a lot of the characteristics, like you see, um, just in other you know, carpet python species and stuff like that. Um. I I got you. It's kind of like one of those things where you kind of do it all to the entire room. But so you said you maintain the heat on these guys. Is there a little bit of a cool down or is that just what naturally occurs from the outside and also dropping your other pythons? So maybe, maybe let them get into the high, like towards, towards 70 a little bit, maybe. Probably, um, and, and why I say probably is because you know, like one side of my one side of that cage enclosure does have the heat lamps, the heat pads, all that other stuff, and I will notice them be away from all that stuff. And of course, with the cold in the tank, yeah, it can be you know in those you know mid to low seventies, no problem. Um, but one thing I found with these guys is, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, Cardioflex Watt died out, and okay. Like, try to feed the little guy and of course you know doesn't want to eat I'm like man it's been like seems like it's been like months waiting this guy eating and then of course you know check your electrical and he hasn't had heat for like two months you know and mm-hmm. you know it's funny is that year he actually he actually did pretty well in breeding and stuff like that so he actually did a more cold cool down than everybody else but he was pretty much at just ambient room temperature um, which was down there in the 70s you know low 70s so it's, and, okay. and I've heard they'll take a little more on the colder side. I don't like to push it just because I don't like having respiratory infections and stuff like that. I've always been more plate safe than than risk the health of the animal. Um, right. But that's that's kind of a personal thing more than it is anything else. But uh, I've heard of some people cooling stuff way down, and I'm like, God, you know, trip to the vet and. And getting mm-hmm. atro and all that good stuff is just kind of like I don't want to don't want to put him through it, you know. Yeah, we all want babies, but so there's the yeah. second part of it. Yeah, yeah, we want to yeah. have the RIs and stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, 
So uh, when do you do introductions? Do you do it like in the beginning and let them all cool down together? Or do you wait until the warm-up? Or is it kind of like whenever you kind of feel like the mood is kind of struck? Yeah, so um, I do, you know, like a lot of people, they'll do the, you know, around uh, Valentine's Day, kind of around that breeding time. Um, I think I've heard you guys say something, too, about, you know, having walk-ups in December and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly what I'll do is in that time frame, I'll start introducing different males and stuff and just kind of watching and seeing if I notice any hookups and things like that. Um, but usually once kind of that, that cooling cycle goes into effect, the male lives in there pretty much for the rest right. of the time. And I'll keep him in there all the time. And then, of course, as summer gets on, like right now, you know, my male, he's in a separate enclosure just because he is the more aggressive. Um, and I've noticed that with almost all my male holdbacks. They're all kind of more nippy. And my females are the ones I literally let people play with my female, you know, my big adult mm-hmm. uh, breeder. I'll let people play with her because she's so docile, doesn't attack, and it's kind of one I've let people play with that are scared of snakes that want to handle something bigger. And then they're like, oh, let me handle the smaller one. I'm like, no, 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 no. The smaller <laughs> one's a jerk. Yeah. Into you. <laughs> uh, wow. But, yeah, just, it seems the like they just around. do better. Yeah. Oh, you're, all your females are aggressive. Yeah, all my females are evil, but my boys are calm as all hell. So. Yeah. 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 When I first got it, when I first got my adults, I didn't know much about them, and you know, Nick was like, "Hey, be careful with these things. You know, they are kind of nippy." And uh, of course, I was like, "Oh, he, you know, I played with them like nonstop there for like the first year, and and it was kind of interesting because of." You know, now that I've had a few more, it's a it's kind of interesting to see that trend of where there's such such as babies. You know, these the ones I hatched out of only a few days old, and mm-hmm. every time you miss them, it's mouth open. Kind of reminds me of a wuma. You know, just mouth flaring around trying to grab whatever it is. You know. Nice. Oh, good stuff to look forward to. So, oh yeah, yeah. You get a, you get a bunch of little nicks. It's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So, do you do you set up a nest box for these guys, or do you just kind of let them figure it out for themselves when that timing's coming up? Yeah, well, um, I am so bad at timing. Sometimes I'll I'll watch the ovulation, or you know, and and you you see them do the pre-lake sheds and all that thing, and I always seem to miss it almost every time. I don't know why. Just yeah. Timing's off, or I'm preoccupied, or in, just something happens. And uh, usually I'll just look in the cage and it's like, oh, there's a pile of eggs. Cool, grab those out. Um, but usually once I start noticing, um, you know, uh, different carpet pythons hatching or, or being laid, things like that, I'll, I'll start to watch them too. But I've actually had my Maclot lay, you know, more towards like July, August, and I'll have pretty much really? fall babies instead. And that was pretty common, the first two clutches. And I don't know if that was just because I, you know, did something different on my end or or if that's the way it goes. But, like, this year, you know, they they hatched just right after 4th of July. So, timing wasn't too bad this year. Yeah. So, they're kind of all over the place a little bit. So, would you kind of label them as spring breeders? Like, is that when you see most of the action is in the springtime? 
it seems that way. It seems that way. Um, of course, you know, my, you know, I, I don't have a ton of them to say that's how it always is, of course. Um, but I, I have noticed that they will be a couple months behind, let's say, carpet pythons being laid, you know. Right. That's just how it works out. So they're kind of more in pace with like a bread lie or an inland or something like that. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Okay, now, have you done maternal incubation with these animals, or are we strictly uh, into the incubator? Um, I was going to let mom do it this time, but mm-hmm. I noticed, and I've seen other people posting pictures of this, and see, I don't know if it's more common this year, but it looks like a lot more eggs have been frailed around, you know, thrown over here and over there, and she's like incubating five, them everywhere. and there's yeah. 15 around her. So, um I was going to let her do it this year, but she threw them everywhere. So I collected them and whether she, there were a lot of bad ones or whatever, I did lose about half the clutch this year. I mean, I should have had around wow. 22, 23 eggs. So, uh-huh. you know, of course my final count was eight this year. So. Darn. So I guess maybe she from kicking them all over the place may have kind of upset some of them are messed them up a little bit. Yeah, possibly. I mean, she might have rolled them over. They might have, you know, drowned, things like that. Or they just got too cold. Um, there's a bunch of right. them that were cold as a touch, you know, and kind of worried me. And, uh, you know, I kind of, kind of, you know, I, I was talking today, and I was like, you know, I sex these things right as I separated them all out. And it was like every, none of them popped. Like every single one of them looks female. And it's like, oh, she killed oh. all the males, you know. <laughs> oh, oh. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. That would be kind of sucky. Yeah. It's, um, so uh, how do you incubate the uh, eggs? Normal python temperatures? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my incubator is, you know, not quite sure what it's set right now, but I want to say I think it's like uh, that, you know, that kind of that golden area between like 87 and 88-ish. You know, that's kind of where I like to be. Um kind of played with different substrates, you know, like, and um, usually what I've done is I've done the great system you see a lot of people do nowadays where they're kind of suspended, you know, above the substrate. Um, but this year, because she did, you know, throw them everywhere and some of them did get dehydrated, I actually decided to put them in the perlite this year, which I normally don't do because it seems like they just get too wet. But being that these guys mm-hmm. are a little more dehydrated, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get these guys, like, right in it, so... Do you think that helped any, or? Um, there was a couple that I think might have not made it if I didn't. Um, okay. So that was kind of nice. Um, you know, I've heard different stories on that one as far as if they do reabsorb within and things like that. And and I kind of just thought, you know, by being right on it, it's a little higher humidity than just being in the box, you know. Yeah, I, I, could, I could get that, that. That kind of makes some sense. Um, yeah. so, are the eggs overall? Sorry, Owen. Are the eggs overall? Okay. Are they are they sensitive, um, or are they pretty hardy? Um, they, as far as python eggs tough. go. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I don't remember from years past, but of course this year, just because I had a clutch of carpets hatched right before these guys did, um, you know, cutting 
the carbon python egg, you know, it's a nice easy cut, you know, with a razor blade to split it open. And these things, I'm like sawing at it with the razor blade trying to cut the egg open. It just seemed like they're very, like, like a lot tougher egg. Um, and that could have been either from, you know, some of them being more dried out than others. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as they go, they're, they, they have a very similar size. I mean, they actually hatch out a little bit bigger than what, you know, what, what my carpet pythons were. Right. Okay. So you're looking at like what, maybe like 30 grams or something like that? 25, 30 grams? Probably. Right. Yeah, that's a, probably, okay. that's a good, that's a good, uh, that'd probably be a good one. But then, uh, yeah. So one of my, one of my things, and in, in this is something else that's kind of interesting, reminds me of you guys talking about, you know, babies and setting them up. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I was so worried about when I first hatched these guys is, how am I going to get these things to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've heard they're, they're, they can be picky and they want to eat lizards, which is no problem for me because I have, like, rachidactylus eggs and things like that. So I can take a tokay or a crusted gecko egg, rub a mouse all over in the yolk and, you know, save a couple, you know, uh, hatchling egg shells. Um, right. But I started doing I started doing impression team. Gosh, what year was that? Probably like 2010-ish, maybe. And pretty much, I always had like an impression scenting um, some type of food source uh, scent during the whole incubation cycle. So, what? What? When you say impression scenting, what? What do you mean, like so, during the whole? Yeah, go into that a little so bit. So there's a there's a I can't remember, but pretty much they. They said that there's a way, and of course I I don't know the science behind this, but that there's a food impression scenting some eggs are exposed to, and the idea that they can smell it from the outside of the egg, things like that. Um, pretty much what I started doing was actually putting a metal like what do you want to call that like a tea, there's like these metal tea things that you dunk in, dunk for tea, and they're metal uh, okay. with holes in them. I've actually filled oh. that with rodent fur and just had that sitting in the corner of the incubation box. And huh. the idea behind it was that they constantly smell that foreign food source um, just because a mouse is not a normal prey item they would naturally just pee off of. Um, so that was the idea behind it because I heard they've done this with other animals where they've got them to eat strawberries and they shouldn't be eating strawberries and things like that. Um, so I was like, I'm going to play with this. And the idea behind it was I was really big into hogs at the time, and I really wanted my hogs not to be toad eaters. <laughs> okay, yeah. <nope. laughs> right. So I started, I started having a little little tea bag full of, uh, full of rodent fur in the, in the hog nose, you know, setups and things like that. And some people say it works. Some people are like, oh, that's probably just bogus. But it, it's sort of like, kind of like a good luck charm now. I just kind of naturally just do it, whether or not it really works or not. Not 100% sure, but, you know, most of my feeding things, you know, like I can just throw a frozen thawed right in there from day one and just shut the bin and it's gone, you know. So I'm just like, eh, I'll keep doing this whether or not it works or not. Well, it's funny. Uh, I think somewhere earlier in the chat, Brandon was saying that um, – that uh, didn't he say that they were diffi- difficult? Oh, easiest snake he ever got feeding. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he said they were difficult. Is that? I guess well, that's because they're nippy. Bite everything. Yeah. They <laughs> bite everything. yeah. Eventually, you're gonna shove enough food in their mouth. But I, I, it, we're talking like 
with, with your scenting, that's like a tea infuser, right? This like big, it's like a metal ball with a bunch of holes in it that you yeah. use for like, yeah, okay. It's for like making your own like tea leaves and stuff. Yeah, the traditional people who are like make their own tea as opposed to like getting the tea bags. This is what yeah, that yeah. thing is. So you use huh. that. Eric, can I borrow mm. your first clutch of Antaresia? I want to try something. So. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody's actually came out and said whether or not stuff like that works. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it, they you know, have shown that different animals have eaten non-food-related items, but doing impression scenting, you know, through, you know, air, you know, passing through the egg into them and things like that. And, it, and I don't know how much of that is actually provable or not. And it might just be something more to make me feel better when I have a clutch of eggs. <laughs> yeah, right. Ever, ever since I heard it, I'm like, I'm on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, right. of course, I'm like, oh, everything's fed, so it must work. Miracle, you know. And of course, Maclat right. is the only species. I mean, I do it to, you know, ball pythons and different species. Like, and, you know, pretty much anything, you know, I hatch. It's kind of like, oh, just throw that in there, no big deal. And now it's just become a normal practice for me. Right. Hmm. That's cool. So I kind of, I kind of like this idea. Well, this, yeah. I would not, if I could find a way to infuse it into boas, I'd try it. But they're born alive and you can't play with that too much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So <laughs> I, I do have a question to back up a little bit, and maybe I missed this when you guys were talking about breeding, but uh, I know with olive pythons, they say that you need another male in order to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really get the female going and be successful. Is that the case with uh, these guys? Do you you notice uh, you have to put some sheds in there or any kind of things like that? Or are they just gangbusters right from the season, you know, like when, you're, when yeah. you start breeding them? Well, like, you know, when I first got the pair um, originally, um, that was one of my fears is the fact that I was going to have to find another male somewhere to, like, combat them. And mm-hmm. or at least introduce sheds or you know throw a male in there for a little bit and let them run around and do that stuff. So that was actually a fear of mine. Um, but you know that hasn't it hasn't been the issue. I mean they they wouldn't right off the bat for me. And then like you know this year, um, of course I only introduced the 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 uh, holdback into that one female. So it hasn't been a problem. Um, of course, I don't breed her every year. I like to go every other year um, with her just because I'm afraid of, uh, you know, overbreeding her. And then, of course, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons I, I didn't breed as much is because there was a lack of interest. So I'd be, you know, if I hatched 20 of them, I might sell two or three, and then I'm sitting on, you know, 15 right. babies for over a year. And then it's like, oh, take one. You know, 50 bucks, just take it, you know, and give some away to somebody that wants to play with one and things like that. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because somebody's selling a wild caught for like four times, five times that price, you know. So it's a, wow. that's one of the <laughs> main reasons, yeah. So, But no, uh, as far as combating goes, um, you know, I've never had to do it. Um, it'd be interesting if other people that you know, breed them, you know, said whether or not they did that. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't needed to, so. Huh. Oh, and when you were you tried breeding these guys, right? Did you have uh, any my olives? Yeah, or did you? Mac- well, no, no, no. The Mac lot. Did you have to do anything where? 
I had I tried breeding Max twice. Uh, my first mm-hmm. year, I actually just chucked them together, and I had success. I I witnessed a bunch of locks. He was all over the female. We thought we were doing good, and then I moved um, the whole house and the whole collection. And like a month after we got into the new house, she dropped the clutch of about twenty two slugs. Um, and then the gotcha. female apparently had a few retained eggs, and she passed. So it was uh. like, shit. So the second year, uh, I tried with a female that I had on loan. They would fight each other. It was not going well. There wasn't really kind of any kind of love lost there. Uh, so we didn't no go for that. Um, and now I'm raising up an, two more females, uh, and I have this one adult male, and I have a baby male. So uh, I got something, but I didn't really get anything else from them. Um, mm-hmm. And then as far as the olives go, I put them together, and they would, like, canoodle with each other. But I never saw any kind of locks or any other type of action from it. Uh, and Eric Kohler was telling me the best thing to do is he have another male to kind of get the olive pythons all revved up. I did try to use my male Maclots python, but I think my olive python was just like, I no, he's no threat to me. I don't care. So uh, I also think, according to Nick Mutton, I need one more year of food to my girl, so maybe we'll have better luck this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. where we're at. And the Fuscus okay. is the Fuscus. We never tried the Fuscus. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, I. What about as far as like uh, setting babies up? Like what you know, what kind of tubs you using? Anything special you do with those guys uh, when they're yeah, when no, they hatch really. out? Um, yeah. So you know, I was listening to you guys yesterday talk about just you know hatching out and how you set them up from the get go with carpets and pretty much I do the exact same thing. You know, you know, do this sterile paper towel. Um, you know, uh, one thing I'll do is. Um, and I got this from doing geckos, um, you know, like uh, egg carton trays. Like, you know, you have however many dozen eggs on it, and, you know, it comes in a flat of, like, 15 by 15 holes or whatever. They're, like, foot by a foot. And I'll actually, right. uh, you know, break those up. And one of the neat things is, uh, you know, they can crawl underneath it and use it as a hide, or they can lay into it and sort of, like, lay into it like a flower almost. And, uh you know, like my carpets right now when I was going through, you know, my all my babies are laying inside the egg tray hole as a little, you know, like a sleeper. And then, of right. course, they'll lay underneath it, too. So that works really well. And, uh, you know, just do the do the four-inch deli cup and uh, just a hatchling rack, you know. And that seems to work okay. out very well. And but, do you uh, keep yeah. the temperatures lower on these guys for the babies or? No. Um, like right now, they're just, in the same rack as everything else that's hatching, um, which okay. I think I have that thing set for like, like I think it's like 92, but the thing only gets up to like you know 87 or something like that. So it's one of those type of things. Um, but yeah, mm. it's just uh, and I'll notice some on the heat, and I'll notice some away from the heat. Um, the bigger guys that I noticed that retain more yolk, um, they're just were bolder. You know, there's a larger bulge and they hatched out. Um, but those guys are on the heat. Like they've been on the heat the last couple of days, and they haven't left. Um, and then, of course, I noticed some of the uh, you know more leaner babies that hatched out. Those guys are more on the cold side. 
I'm actually hoping they'll shut out pretty quick so I can go ahead and give them, give them start off food, you know. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, I don't know. What else we got, uh, Owen, for Maclots as far as Maclots pythons go? Any, uh... Uh... Um... Do you have any other kind of tips or tricks you can give somebody into keeping or breeding that you've kind of discovered in your keeping of the snake species? Yeah. Well, not necessarily keeping, but I, and you probably know this too, um, just by having olives and the maclots, their coloration is very interesting. And, and it's hard to yeah. tell from photos. And I've been able to catch it a couple times. And it reminds me of that, iridescent kind of glow, almost like the rainbows bouncing off them type of set, coloration. And you'll see it in the yeah. hues, and it's hard to catch with photography. But when I saw them in person, once I saw that, because, I mean, at the right angle and the sun reflecting off them in different spots, it's like you'll see blues and all sorts of neat colors. And you're like, whoa. And I kind of, I kind of joke about it. It's like the rainbow reflecting off of them, you know? And... Uh, mm-hmm. That was one of the neatest things that I thought about him because when I first uh, saw pictures of him, it's like, yeah, it's a brown snake, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and then in person, they're just so more impressive. Um, and another one is, uh, you know, you talked about the yellow head. Um, you know, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, cool, yellow-headed Maclot. Well, the bottom color of these guys, I mean, uh, there's sometimes where they're just bright yellow, you know? Um, right. So that's always a neat one because it does it does have a really neat coloration and of course the freckling on every single one of them, you know, is a little different. Um, right. But uh, another one is the attitude. It kind of sounds weird, but it's almost uh, it's almost kind of boring. You know, I kind of joke about everybody's like all oh, ball pythons. I kind of call them the the reptiles pet rock. You know, just because you can yeah. pick them up and they're <laughs> just boring. So with these guys, you know, right. you go in there kind of. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of like a song and dance you do with them, you know. Like, you know, I'll, I'll go in and approach, you know, like my holdback male, different than the breeder male, different than the mom, versus hatchlings, and it, it's kind of fun to do, and it kind of keeps me on my toes. Um, but I enjoy that aspect of it, to be honest with you. But they do pack a pretty good bite. Um, yeah. And that's one thing I've noticed is I've literally fought with one because. You know, like like my female, she's probably two feet bigger than she should be. She's just a kid. Um, right. And, and 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 that's what I meant by using her as a garbage disposal because I would. Um, she actually wrapped me up to the point where I thought I was fighting like a berm or a retail. I mean, she was really – every time I'd uncoil her, there she is on the other leg. There she is moving on my waist. And, of course, she's mm-hmm. on my arm at the same time. And – uh you know, I'm guessing olives can be similar, um, you know, with the with, with how they bite and how they coil too. Um, but yeah, it's just a. To be honest with you, it's kind of a snake I like because it, it you know, it, it feels like I got a bigger snake, but I'm not really fearful of them. You know, like some people, you know, they'll get a berm or retick, and after a couple of years, they're scared of the thing because it gets so big. Um, you know, they yeah. don't get to that point where I think I need to fear them or I'm in danger of my life. You know, things like that. Um, you know, which is kind of becoming a trend in the hobby, you know, stay away from the things that could kill you, you know, legislation and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, if, you know, when, you know, I put perches in these things and it's kind of weird because they'll go from the water to the substrate to perching 
and it's kind of a neat transition you can see because, you know, they kind of go literally all over the place. But, uh, hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, uh, cool. I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what else with those guys. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, well, it's just uh, my exposure with them, and, and I, you know, Eric has, you know, totally different exposure with them, and I bet, you know, mm-hmm. you too. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're just a fun snake, to be honest with you. And, and I will agree with what you're saying. It's like they're they're a python, you know. I mm-hmm. I, I don't open the door and reach blindly into my olive and maclot python cages, where sure. if this was a ball python in a drawer, I might open it up and grab the ball python just without thinking. If you do that, um, especially with my olives, they're always wanting to test if whatever's in front of them is edible. So mm-hmm. normally the first thing they do is just, and it's not a the max will probably like strike and bite. The olives tend to just put their nose up against you and then open their mouth very, very slowly and then mm-hmm. close it down on your hand just to be like, Nope, this isn't food. And then they'll try again five minutes later, having forgotten that they already tried your hand. So mm-hmm. that's the only thing I would say is that um, a lot of times liasses are really, really hungry to a fault. So yeah, stuff to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, good. Oh no, no. I was just, I was just saying. I, you know, I totally agree with you. You know, it's just uh, right. one of those things. And... I was going to. Uh, before I, you get them. Yeah, I was gonna quick. Um, when I was doing research for the show, I was looking. Um, I know at the beginning we were talking about um, the difference, and I forgot to read this. Um, I know we were talking about, uh, you know, what's the difference from the different islands and stuff. So uh, I figured I'd throw this out there so that the people would know. Um, So basically there's uh, three islands. There's the ones we talked about, the Timor. Um, I'm probably going to butcher these words. uh, Roti, I guess, right? And uh, That sounds about right. (laughs) Semiu, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad <laughs> you're butchering them, not me. Yeah. No, no, just let, him, just, just let him butcher them. We just I'll take the heat. to agree, yeah, and then go. he takes the heat. We just go, yes, that sounds yeah, right, and I, then I'll take that's the it. Heat. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, basically uh, what I was reading is, just like you said, that most are from uh, Timor, and um, they uh, have a pale, pale heads, uh, yellow chins and throats, uh, dark bodies with pale freckles, Undersides of their necks are pale yellow, and the bellies become increasingly dark uh, posteriorly. Uh, The underside of the tail may be uh, dark. Uh, Yeah, I guess that's – Timor specimens tend to have even flecking uh, of pale scales over their bodies. The backs may appear darker than the sides in some of uh, pale Timor specimens. Uh, Freckled – they call them freckled pythons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, but don't they also call they call Timors freckled pythons? They call yeah a lot of things freckled. Like duns are called freckled pythons. So it's yeah. so, uh, it's one of those so, things. But uh, the maclots from the uh, and I don't know, Owen. Maybe you you you've actually had um, one of Eric's uh, animals on loan. Were they the uh, the roti ones? I had a, I, because, I, I had his roti. Okay, and because uh, overall, I couldn't tell a difference between the roti and my male, who I assume is a Timor. So 
I feel bad, but... (laughs) I was just going to ask this, because didn't you have one that was dark, and they're saying that basically they're overall very dark with uh, very few pale freckles? I have... It's almost like if you put one on, if you put a Mac in the sun and let that sun hit them, they will appear brighter. And kind of like what Lance was talking about earlier, you see all those blues and the, the, the iridescent comes out. And it's like, so was it darker? Yeah, but it also was kind of the same darkness as some of my other Macs. So, but I've had like, like uh, my one male glitch when he was a baby, he was bright, bright, bright green and, olive colored and now he's kind of gotten older he's kind of dulled out a little bit become a little bit darker and Mm -hmm. i don't know if that was just the natural progression of the mac or what locality you was or blah 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 blah. so there's there's a bunch of different things that go in there um well i did not got a difference but god i i got confirmation from eric um he said that you had his timor mac Aha! Not there we go. <laughs> so that's why you didn't that's see a difference. That's why it makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel better anyway. And hold so on, it's... Uh, I was um, corrected in the uh, in the chat. It's Semau. <laughs> Semau, got it. Okay. Anyway, um, sorry, Owen. Go ahead. But it's okay. But that's just kind of how it goes. I mean. Uh, what I would love to see is that uh, – I don't know if you saw them, Eric. Buddy Buscemi put up pictures of a pair of Macs that he bred in, like, 92. And yes. I've never seen Macs that look like those. Like, they had – they were light, and then they had these dark, dark freckles. Like, oh, oh, I don't know if that was just the, the camera that he used at the time, the lighting or whatever, but they looked entirely different than some Macs that I've seen. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to pressure Buddy Buscemi into more pictures. And I don't know where <laughs> his Max ended up or what the hell he was looking at or working with, but um, they were kind of cool. Yeah, that could be that other uh, subspecies or locality, um, too, that uh, you really don't see the other one besides, you know, what uh, Eric has and, and kind of the Timors. So I believe the uh, one of those. The uh, Duns pythons, uh, the what is it, whatever that uh, the oh the uh, other locality. Semau. I'm terrible. <laughs> yeah, 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 the semi, yeah. yeah. Was, it yeah. could have been. Yeah, because I, I mean, yeah, I know like uh, like uh, Tracy Barker and VPI, they started doing them way back in the day, and if you look on their website, they still have pictures, and they're in their freckled python section. And some of those I look at and go, what the heck is that thing? Because they don't look like that anymore. So it makes well, you wonder if maybe we've bred it out or the specimens that we just have required, you know, have got over the years have just been, you know, tomorrow. So either it got bred out or, or you know, we just don't get them. Well, also, how many people were really paying attention to locality animals yeah. back when they were just trying to get this Mac, this Mac lot to breed with this Mac lot? I mean, mm-hmm. for all we know, a lot of the stuff coming out of the Barkers and a few other people could have been mixtures between the two and mm-hmm. kind of kiboshed that all over the place. So, mm-hmm. who knows? So, yeah. I'm going to look on the, the website real quick and see if I can find a Barkers. picture. Uh, yeah. Sorry. 
Yeah, if you do Google Image some of them and type in freckled, you'll you'll find it pretty easily. Yeah, but if you type in freckled Python, you're gonna get like I said, you're gonna get Duns, Max, Timors, everything. Yeah, exa- everything else they've decided yeah. to call a freckled Python over the years. But yeah. um, but in the meantime, while Eric's looking at that stuff, um, Lance, why don't we talk about uh, black roughneck monitors? Are yeah. you toying with them right now? I am trying to. Um, oh. So, you know, with these guys, um, you know, are like, uh, you know, monitors are something I've, I've always kind of played with and always been kind of like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to get into them, things like that. Um, the black roughnecks, um, you know, just from the side of these things, they kind of remind me of a dragon, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, every every once in a while you'll you'll see somebody that's importing them and go ahead and get a few and, take them to the vet and treat them and do all this stuff. And they crash so easy. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of frustrating. And like, I remember uh, Viper Boas, I mean, Viper Boas were so cheap years ago and I got a ton of Viper Boas. And it was just like one after the other, after the other. And then by the end you just have like two male that make it. So it's very frustrating. And um, that's one of the things I don't like, but I do like about, you know, importation, you know, it, it enables us to get some of these species that just nobody's breeding. But at the same point, it's so stressful and so devastating for the wild populations, you know, like all we're doing is bring yeah. these animals in the United States and kill them off, unfortunately. No matter how much we take yeah. them to the vet and things, it's so hard to get some of these established. So I am working on it. I'd love to get some going over here. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things where I'm just going to keep trying and, and keep working with them. Um, of course, but now it seems like, uh, you know, a lot of these countries that, you know, were so readily available are now locking their doors. So that's another thing yeah. that, you know, I really would like to, you know, get some species and get them long-term captives and actually work with them and, and try to get a, a, you know, a strong captive population. Yeah, I've I've, I've definitely heard about certain places shutting down certain aspects of importations and it almost seems like because uh, there was almost, I don't want to say abuse of the system, but when you're bringing mm-hmm. in like 2,000 baby Nile monitors like mm-hmm. a year and you know that like four are going to make it, it's like yeah. uh, you're not you're not bringing them in to set up a captive breeding kind of deal to stop bringing in the wild costs. You just bring in the wild costs to... Yeah. sell them for next year you can sell the same people the same wild costs because the ones they bought from you previously are dead so yeah well uh, you know, interesting you brought, yeah well interesting you brought up niles because you know that's mm-hmm. one of the ones i was looking into when i was doing my waters i was looking at niles right. you know waters and ornates you know really try to get some of them established and actually raise them up um yeah the thing with it is like if you look at the market value and this is kind of I don't like to bring in dollar value is necessary to justify doing a, a population or, or breeding them. But when you look at a specimen and you go to the pet store and you look online and you see people like literally under 50 bucks for a Nile monitor and you're thinking, my gosh, this is like one of the, you know, a very large, aggressive, you know, it has a serious bite with it, serious claws, and you're pretty much letting people buy it for 50 bucks. It's kind of like... It's kind of like buying that animal 
and because it's so cheap, nobody thinks about the long-term care of the animal, you know? Right. So that's another one. It's sort of like, my gosh, if you're giving away for 50 bucks, people that really don't care about the animal will get into that versus, you know, like a entry monitor or an Aki monitor, which is probably more, right. you know, probably a little easier care. I mean, an Aki monitor, they're so neat. They're, they're very easy. They're not aggressive, and they stay small. But people go, ah, you know, three hundred, four hundred dollars versus like under, you know, under fifty, seventy-five dollars. So, you know, right. that's another one that's kind of scary is the fact that, you know, when they do have something that's very big and things like this, you know, the market just got it so cheap that, you know, people get it just because they want something versus they've actually researched it and and thought about what am I going to do with this thing when he, you know, is bigger than my German Shepherd, you know. Right. It's um, kind of like the same thing of you don't see too many people working with croc monitors or lace monitors because you're looking at a $2,000 and a $10,000 animal. So you have a select few people who are crazy enough to dedicate like four rooms in their house to these animals um, and spend the money. And those are the guys who are the only ones who are keeping them up. That's why you don't ever see too many of those things trickling in, so yeah. Well, you like you part of said something. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, 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 it's fine. Like, uh, you know, I was talking about a new house that I acquired. Um, uh-huh. um, but anyway, um, I have an exterior building. Well, I'm literally going to try to turn that into nothing but for the water monitors, you know, so they actually have the room and all that stuff, and. Um, Kind of uh, one of the men- methods that I learned how to take care of these guys was from somebody I kind of apprenticed with when I was younger. And, you mm. know, he did the large cattle tubs and things like that. And as they start getting older, you know, you go either bigger. I mean, kind of, you know, something you can almost make this thing into a hot tub. They're so big. But it works really mm-hmm. great for some of these monitor species. Um, so I'm actually in the process of turning that into you know, where I can, you know, house hopefully a bunch of juveniles know hopefully a pair or two of adults you know a couple different things and it'd be nice to you know get some population going um yeah but yeah it's a, that's the one thing you know is is you know you're talking about the room i mean you know what's a normal person going to do if they're you know want something that fits in a you know 50 gallon aquarium or something like their terrarium and it's like here's a here's a water monitor have fun you know it's like oh geez <laughs> yeah uh my my one friend breeds albigularis, so black throats, white throats, and then he does ornates and mangroves and all those other little nice. you know all those other monitors too. And with he has double the size of a basement that I do, and he yeah. has probably only about half the animals just because yeah. of all the space that is required for this monitor, that monitor, all that other stuff. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a haul. It's, a, <laughs> it's definitely not yeah, the way of the heart. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the wife's about to kill me. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, can you we get a new SUV? It's like. Yeah. You know. But yeah. but big big lizard. I mean, come on. I, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't want a giant ass lizard? Yeah, it's a, I, I I just say watch Game of Thrones. We're gonna have that thing eventually. It's, <laughs> a matter of time, and we're gonna have that. You know? I can get that. <laughs> like you know, like, I can do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, almost. 
Yeah, and it's and they're water monitors where, like, it's not like you're dedicating, like I said, half the house to three ten thousand dollar lizards. I mean, I don't know if I could sleep at night if I bought animals that were ten thousand dollars a piece. Like, I'd pretty much be oh, checking yeah. on them constantly. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, no, that, no, that no, would no. Make no, me no. a little paranoid just because of value, you know. Exactly. You know, I'm going to try to bring you guys, but I can't because I don't want you guys yeah. to be anywhere near each other. So, yeah, yeah don't hurt each other. You all cost way too much freaking money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, like uh, the first time I got a chance to actually take a pair and actually introduce them for breeding and stuff like that, it, they weren't mine. Mm-hmm. But watching them do it, I'm like, he's going to die. Like, I mean, they're vicious. I mean, they're biting and taking off chunks and. You see scars <laughs> of people that had breeders, and you're thinking they're like almost going to kill themselves just trying to breed. It's uh, yeah. they're so aggressive with it. It's kind of scary, you know. And people see them, and you look at pictures of adult breeders, and you just see these scars across the neck, on the throat, on the back, and you're like, you know, looking at it like, you know, it, it literally somebody took a like a hatchet to it, you know? Yeah. It, it's got to uh, be worse for people who do crocodilians and stuff. Because oh, it's yeah. like, oh, what happened? Oh, well, you know, the female ripped off his foot. He'll be fine. I'm like, right. wait, whoa, what do you mean, yeah. like, chunks of the male are missing? It's like, that's, yeah. that's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, one of the one of the species I work with a lot is uh, Lichianus geckos, which are the big, you know, giant yeah. uh, New Caledonia stuff. And they're, like, bigger than your forearm. They're pretty huge. Right. And their bite's pretty bad. They'll I kill, heard The that. females will kill males. And I've had it happen. Really? And, uh, yeah, um, I think it's, I, I'm I butcher his name, and hopefully he, he probably won't listen to the show anyway. But Philippe Delavochier, he was kind of one of the founders of, you know, a lot of these geckos over there, along with uh, Frank Fass and, and um, Alan Opashi. And, uh, you know, they talked about bringing in the original specimens and stuff, and there's a subspecies of them that's even bigger and more aggressive. And if you introduce a little too small male, she will kill him within like hours. Really? Like, I mean, they're like, that we're aggressive, like, and we're like, and they'll do it for life. The and they do it for life. You know? yeah. Jesus. So if you ever want to like mix up your males, that's another one you can't do because kill an outsider male too. So it's, they they can be very uh, picky, and you're thinking, oh, this is a cute little gecko, you know, and. Yeah, they actually will kill their non-mate or like a new male you try to introduce to them. And, and now you're so, talking about, you know, a gecko that's pretty expensive because some of the some of the ones that are rare, that are some of the bigger species, you know, I've, I've heard people pay thousands of dollars for them and spend the most time raising it and your female kills them. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's insane. You guys that's are insane. talking about reptiles uh, getting chunks ripped out of them, and <laughs> I'll stick with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> violence. Just yeah. pure violence. Yeah. They would no, probably I... kill me, man. I'd have to ride it like, uh, you know, uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't probably. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we do have, um, real quick, we have uh, Brandon Wheeler on the phone. Uh, and he has a story that he wanted to share about uh, yeah, bring on. Maclot, Maclot's, uh So here, let's click him on. Hey, Brandon, is that you? What's going on? What's going on, guys? Hey, you what's got up, me? Man? 
Hey. Yep. Yeah, we got you. Go for it. Oh, not much. Just my Tuesday night Python radio, you know, doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is what we're here for. Wow. Yeah, guys, you got me all excited talking about Macloth tonight. Uh, by far, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've kept, you know, Brettles and Jungles and Coastals and I've Diamonds and, you know, all kinds of stuff and different morphs. And my favorite snake I've ever had are Macloth pythons, you know, and that includes my awesome. Moth and Scrub. I mean, I, I, I miss my Scrub. I love my Max. Uh, getting rid of that pair was a really bad decision that I deeply regret. <laughs> I'm sure we all had that pair, you know. And uh-huh. uh, when I first bred them, I was a kid. Uh, it was just probably nine years ago when I got my first clutch of Macloth Python. And, uh, you know, just getting into the hobby, no real clue what I'm doing. Thought I knew everything. Worked at a reptile shop for a little while, whatever. And, uh, you know, I, that year I didn't even really plan on breeding them. I didn't think my female was big enough to go. Didn't really put any thought into it. Didn't cool them, did absolutely nothing. And uh, it was cleaning day, and, uh, I, you know, I, I put them in the same tub for cleaning and kind of forgot about it, got distracted, went in the other room, watched TV or whatever. I, I came back in like 30 minutes later, and they were locked up, man. And, you know, about <laughs> 60 days later, I had eggs. That's just not fair, dude. It's like, you know, I'm trying. You're like, oops, babies. It's like that's Yeah. That's, that's, so, that's you know, annoying. at this point, so at this point, I don't have an incubator, and I'm afraid to incubate, and I'm, I'm a broke, you know, 21-year-old, can't even afford to buy an incubator, so I decided to do maternal incubation. Uh, you know, oh she looked God. all nice and pretty sitting on her clutch, and, man, I had like a 90% hatch rate. Did absolutely nothing. <laughs> wow. That's it was crazy. Beautiful. <laughs> it was that's, that it was that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, think about it though. I mean, we spend all this time worrying about temperatures and cooling and trying to get it right with, you know, the environments and you know, I do now. I don't just throw snakes and tubs together now. I'm I'm right there with you guys and you know, it's just sometimes it's just not that hard. <laughs> sometimes they just yeah, want to breathe. Sometimes you just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sometimes it's really not. Together, but I, I I never cooled them though. Uh, you know, I produced four clutches, and and after that, uh, I would just cohab them. Uh, I'd put them together in about November time. Uh, I, I would get eggs around January 26th, uh, somewhere in that, pretty consistently. I always got my eggs in, you know, late January, early February. So it was, you know, around that time frame for me. And, yeah, they were uh, they were awesome. Super, super, super tame adults. Never had an issue. Babies always mean. Could never down before I sold them. Uh, hmm. You know, just, just cool animals. Super underrated. A lot of fun to hang out with. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun to watch. Hey, I got a quick question. Did you post these on, on uh, YouTube years ago? I did. That's me. Yeah. So I remember, and I kind of like as you're talking, I'm like, gosh, that voice sounds so familiar. So I'm actually digging through this, <laughs> uh, YouTube right now, going back like five hundred. Oh God. So you got to forgive remember, me. I was a freaking stoner back then. <laughs> no, and if I think this is you, it definitely, it definitely has that look. You should come to the Northwest. You'll fit in great here. But uh, <laughs> no, I remember seeing that, and uh, one of the first things I remember seeing was the fact that. You just literally picked up the female and moved her out of the way so you could show the eggs. Like, get out of the way so I can show these pictures of the eggs. Oh, uh-huh. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty cool. But, uh, 
Yeah, because I think when I first had the clutch, I researched it, and I think I found your videos and stuff like that. But, yeah, I was a uh, – yeah, they're, you know, they're way fun. Regarding those videos, you know, if you go back through that stuff, that was all stuff again. Most of those videos are 10 years old. Some of them are six sure. years old. But, man, the, my point of view on keeping and just kind of the way things are now compared to some of the stuff I talked about then, I can, I don't agree with anymore. You know, I was wrong. Of course. <laughs> of course. I was, You're allowed to change uh, your opinion. It's fine. No, you know, and 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 that, that that's all it is. Actually, I would love to delete half of them, but I can't remember my password to the freaking thing to log in and do it. So I can't even get into my account to take the videos down. Son of a bitch! Damn it! Right? <laughs> but uh, there, there's some fun ones in there though. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah definitely. Don't. Don't worry. Over the years, we've said things that we don't believe or agree with, or say why things. the why the hell do we say that? What are we thinking? Yeah. Oh my god. That's just part of the deal. You listen to back episodes. Yeah, they're not. They're all horrible. So you know, it was yeah. just being being twenty twenty one with a video camera back when nobody else was really doing it yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's oh. cool though. That is awesome. Hey man. Cool story for sure. He did nothing. All right, fellas. <laughs> yep. He did nothing, yeah. yeah. God. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Thanks, man, for uh, for Thanks coming for on and sharing that. All right, yeah, guys. Take it easy. Yep. Yeah, you too. All right, well, that that <laughs> that about wraps up the show. He did nothing, you know. It's yeah, like, I suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do nothing yeah, today, do nothing next year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like. The entire show is, this is what you could do, or you could do what Brandon did. Nothing. Mm. It's like, all right, well, the whole show was, there you go. <laughs> so, oh, man. Um, Jesus. Before we uh, before we, we uh, get cut off on the live thing, I wanted to make sure that we hit on um, the uh, Gexware. Um, oh, tell sure. us about that and how that came about, you know. Um, yeah. So um, when I did the, you know, the Lance Portal Reptiles, you know, trying to make my name for myself type thing like everybody thinks they're going to do, um, I started making kind of my own T-shirts. And kind of what I did was I kind of, you know, took the essence of the Major League logo, put a crust of gecko in it and did that. And everybody's like, man, that's such a cool shirt. That's such a cool logo. You know, like, can I, can I buy one of your T-shirts? And I'm like, well, I just made these for me. You know, so um, I actually went out, talked to some screen print companies, made a couple that had that MLB essence to it, you know, just the red, white, and blue outline and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, started doing that and made hats and kind of did that off-centered logo thing and made flat bill hats and flip-up hats and, you know, just tried to make something that was semi-fashionable. And um, it just kind of took off from there. And one thing I really wanted to do was play around with the idea of making more than just like going to a screen printer and saying, you know, how much will it cost to make this? And he gives me this outrageous price tag. So it's hard, it's hard to be uh, creative. You know, it's pretty much like you got to go in with one idea and you got to make a thousand shirts with that one logo. So yeah. um, I had a good friend of mine that was a screen printer and he goes, man, you should look into just doing this yourself. It's really easy. You know, you got to buy the equipment um, and all this other stuff. Um, so I actually uh, went through and, and found out that I actually have one of the nation's biggest screen print companies here in the Northwest. Um, did some classes with them and actually learned how to screen print myself. 
um, went ahead and just started playing around with different things and creating different logos and doing things. And eventually I caught the eye of, you know, US Arc and most of the US Arc t-shirts and hats you see out there today, you know, I had some, you know, part of, um, so that there's one that's kind of like an MMA style where it's kind of splattered with ink and feathers and all this other stuff. You know, we, we did those over here and, you know, we did some off-center US Arc hats with snakeskin bills on them and those did really well. And, you know, did some trucker hats and, then, um, you know, I started pushing out my own artwork, and I've done things for other people. Um, but mainly the idea was behind it, I was tired of kind of seeing these artsy kind of, call it that, you know, maybe 50, 60-year-old kind of khaki guy, you know, wearing this very natural-looking, you know, picture of a T-shirt and didn't really have a, I don't know, kind of jokes about being the nerdy scientist type reptile T-shirt mm-hmm. on the market. So I was like, what can I do that's kind of cooler, you know? And, and of course, it just kept on developing from there. And, uh, you know, kind of my idea when I just changed the – got rid of Lance and just started going with Gexware, you know, was the idea of just, uh, you know, when people go to shows, sometimes they don't want to take home a reptile or they don't want their five-year-old to take home a reptile, but they'll take home a T-shirt with a reptile on it. You know, that way right, they right. leave with something. And that's the idea of trying to, try to pawn off trade shows and try to – on little kids into buying t-shirts. It was just people like to have something and not necessarily reptile, you know. And, right. And, uh, you know, over over the years, I've done a lot more custom work, you know. Um, you know, like I've designed shirts for Nick and helped him do some things, and we did a really cool, like, metallic t-shirt. Um, you know, you guys talked about Carpet Fest. Um, I helped those guys. You know, we did a t-shirt with them. Um, you know, did the Northwest Carpet Python t-shirt or the, was it, uh, Carpet Fest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and it was kind of a neat one. We did some metallic colors and red and did all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, and then, um, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it just keeps on developing, you know. And one of the nice part is, is you know, I actually have my own screen press and my own screen equipment and things like that. So it just makes it easier. And one of the biggest things that really ticked me off going to somebody that wasn't in the hobby is you'd go in there and say, I want a picture of a carpet python I want this, you know, blah, blah, blah text across the top. And then he sends you an email going, is this what you wanted? And it's a corn snake. And you're like, my God. Mm-hmm. You know the difference? <laughs> so, yeah, no, 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 that is not what I wanted. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> that was one of the biggest problems where it ticked me off so bad. I was like, gosh, just let me do it for you because you don't know anything about reptiles. So it's sometimes kind of nice to have somebody in the same hobby that can, you know, do that do that actual animal, you know, either some species or, you know, a lizard versus, you know, or a boa versus a python and just no right. differences. And it gives a more true product and the customer feels better knowing usually that, that you do the, you do a ball python. You're not just going to randomly go and, you know, and search engine and find a picture of a snake, you know. Yeah. Right. Well, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah so, like, fun. If uh, somebody wanted to do something, uh, get something done, they could contact you and you could pick it up, or how does that work? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, most of my business is either, you know, done off Facebook or people message me and go, hey, I talked to so-and-so and and you did something for them. I mean, I haven't even done non-reptile stuff. I mean, people like my normal 9-to-5 business is actually a barbershop, so I've done my barbershop t-shirts. 
and I've designed shirts for um, other companies. Um, I've done NOAA, um, which is a government agency that does research, um, helped out the Coast Guard in my local town do some T-shirts and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, pretty much if you can screen print, you can screen print anything. You know, it doesn't matter what the logo is. It's all the same process. So but it was just something fun for me to be creative, you know, and, and try to find something yeah. more boring than the nerdy science T-shirt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I like them. I mean, um, some of them, some of these are pretty, some of these are really cool. It's like uh, uh, what you're talking about with the U.S. Arc one. Um, yeah. I want to say that was a skull of a evil monster. Is that what I'm seeing yeah, over oh, here? Yes. So that one's actually oh, that is so I actually cool. invented, well, I don't want to say I invented that ink, but I brought a process yeah. that's not screen printing and brought it in. So actually that's color changing. I actually had to show oh, a video of this crap. thing because as you turn angles and as you wear the T-shirt, it'll go extremely different colors. Um, it's, it's actually chameleon ink. So I adapted it so I could use it for screen printing. But people put chameleon ink on, like, cars. You see that car shows, the lowrider shows, where you'll drive by the car and it'll change colors. Same concept. Yeah. It's just I wanted to do it in clothing. And um, another one I've done a lot of is, like, metallic ink. People really like that. Um you know, uh, gosh, what the heck are those names? Name, uh, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Like Nick, we did a metallic logo that kind of had a, uh, um, I don't want to say, kind of had a diamond plate look to it, but it did it in metal yeah. ink. So, it, you know, as you right. look at it, it has this very, you know, steel-looking pattern to it. So it's really neat. You know, it's done more than just white ink on a on a T-shirt. So. Wow. Uh, that is cool. All right, yeah, I, might, cool I, might be getting, <laughs> I might be getting a Gila Monster skull shirt. I mean, I'm just saying. So yeah, well, let me know. Just message me. I'll, I'll I'll definitely have to send you one. Just... Yeah. Jesus. That's a pretty cool. I'm gonna share it over in the chat. That's that. Uh, that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it, there's it, a it video, does... and the interesting part is there's like seven photos. Like, there's a picture of me. I'm kind of shooting myself wear it because of the curvature of your chest, you know? Um, right. But as I turn my angles, it'll go pink, purple, metallic, and all these different colors. And then, then there's one that goes, like, red, orange, yellow. Um, so it's kind of neat. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's so kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, people look at it and go, was that just blue, you know? So Yeah. <laughs> Take, takes that's my cool. love for Gila monsters and shirts. So yeah, I mean yeah. that's done. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, there you go, man. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I have to ask, as I was flipping through uh, your um, your Gexware Facebook page, um, yeah, I see that you had Doomrolls Boas. You still work with them? Oh Lord. So yeah. So um, oh boy. So. That is another one that's becoming more of a rarity. You know, you really don't see like yeah. playing with them anymore. And it seems like, you know, you've been I love show. that, man. I mean, I don't know They're about... so cool. <laughs> yeah, they're really neat. Uh, one of the things, is, you know, is, you know, they hatch out, and they're just so bright orange and pink colors, you know. And they're, they're to be honest, yeah. I, I really don't know why the market got rid of them. You know, I'd rather have one of those than a Colombian, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Huh. But, so, um, okay. So. Yeah. So, so, so a friend of mine, um, I don't breed any, but I know he's been trying for a couple of years. And the problem is, you know, it seems like a lot of it's older stock to where there's nothing to replenish, you know, for future generations, you know, either sold everything uh, and adults are getting too old. So it's actually getting harder. And, you know, usually I'll go to a show and try to find some. And if I find any, it's like, dude, here's what I found for you. You know, get into the collection, you know, and, but, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, because I do a lot of trade shows, I have, I have, you know, business partners I deal with that I get some things that I don't like to work with, like old pythons. I'm not a big fan, but I know people right. like them and love them. So, you know, I'll always go ahead and get some for people. And, and you know, everything is kind of, you know, try to try to do most captive bred everything, you know. And the, I, I hate taking stuff to shows. It's wild caught. You know, I'll do wild caught for my own collection to, you know, raise up to hopefully produce captive bred, but, you know, selling wild cut stuff I always hate doing, you know. Right, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're uh they've always been a species that that have interest me. I, I just whenever I see them I, I you know, I'm always looking at that person that's breeding them so that uh I can stay in touch with them when they breed them, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. If you produce any I can definitely I can definitely get you in contact. So you know, another one that I'll get and, and I and I always ask for these guys is just old school true blood Taiwanese beauty snakes. Yes. You don't yeah. find them very much anymore. You know, and no. that's another one people ask for because, you know, they're not the blues or not, you know, not the washed up Koreans and things like that. And people are looking at them like, I've never seen a yellow one before. And I'm like, that's a true Taiwanese. That's why you're seeing those you know, beautiful colors. Yeah. I scrolled down a little bit and I see, uh, I, a group of them, I guess they're babies. That uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, and you yeah. have some of them, right? Now, what? I mean, I just beauty snakes. I some, yeah, I have some Vietnamese blue beauties. Yeah, okay. those are really neat. They're so awesome. funny because they they get so aggravated when you go to feed them, and they hiss and they smack their tails and everything, and you just lay the food down and close them up, and then you go on to do other things. About 30 minutes later, they're still in their cage with a mouthful of rodents smacking their tail on stuff, kind of trying to hiss. So, yep. oh yeah, they're they're grouchy, but they're funny because yep. they never do anything about it. So, <laughs> the one the one thing I was going to ask before um, before Owen reads off the uh, the closing questions. Um, so you're into a lot of geckos. Do you do anything with any kind of Australian species as far as geckos go? Uh, like not knobbies. really. Yeah, see, I, I really like those guys. They are very neat. Yeah. Um, another one, um, it's an Australian, but I'd love to get into them, is the New Zealand's greens. I mean, those emerald green geckos are amazing, but right. like everybody kills them. So, um, oh. of course, the the price to get into them is ridiculous. So that's one of those, you know, scared if it dies type things. Um, but no, I pretty much do a lot of uh, other than other than like tokays. I really don't have very many more of the warmer species geckos. Um, okay. Most of them are rachidactyls, other than a couple of the oddball ones like uh, you know uh, Madagascar velvet geckos. Um, I kind of joked about them being velociraptors, you know. Um, and then um, yeah, oh, their heads they look like they might as well been copied for Jurassic Park. I mean, they're amazing. That's awesome. The skull structure, the, the, you know, just the different, uh, the, just from the side, they have a really cool look to them. 
Um, and then uh, Vorox geckos, that's another one that people are like, you breed those? Um, but they're just another weird fruit gecko. Um, pretty much, you know, eats rapashi food, so it's kind of nice, or the Pangea food, so it makes them, makes it really good. Um, that's cool. But, yeah, and then, of course, uh, pretty much what got me started into actually doing shows was just doing crusties, you know? But uh, right. I admit, though, okay. you know, the Lichiana's got to be the one of the most coolest geckos that I've ever played with. Other than Tokay's, you know, when Tokay's started coming out with morphs, um, that's made it a very interesting world because people went, I'm never getting one of those because they're so mean. But I'll get it now because it's all blue, you know. Right. <laughs> Every, yeah, or, you know, the Calico's now, and there's a super red and all these other things. So people, they are getting them, and it's, you'll see pictures of people with, like, welding gloves. And this blue toque, all blue, no pattern, is on the end of the glove. And there's like, check out this one. Oh, mark. nice. It's like, yeah, you can't even handle that thing, though. It's like, yeah. Yeah, most of, most of my stock of uh, toques are all from uh, a lot of Malaysian stock, which are the really beautiful, the pale blues with the bright spots and not the dirty brown looks and things like that. So, um, I do a lot with those guys, but... Uh, yeah, and then so, uh, Oceanic Geckos, that's another weird one that most people haven't heard of. Um, it's just a miniature little dwarf gecko, um, but they just have really cool colors and some of the fruit species. That, you know, I can I can kind of feed everybody kind of the same type of diet. That's cool. Makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Do they uh, – I'm just curious as far as like those um, – when you're uh, – the, the eggs – do you just incubate yeah. them, stick them in your reptile room? Uh, do they have to go in an incubator, or how does that work? Which one? Which species? Or... Uh, well, the, I guess they're all different. I'm just wondering, like, if you have an incubator set up for snakes, does that interfere with your, you know, your incubator for, you know, oh. any gecko species, oh, yeah, yeah, or is no. that something? So, um, yeah, so a lot of the more temperate climate zone, like the New Caledonia species, I can do them – you know, in in either um, they make these re- neat little deli cup egg section uh, dividers, I guess is a nice way to say it. But anyway, it has little cutouts yeah. um, in it, and it does this suspended incubation method. And I can literally set those on top of my gecko racks. Um, oh, okay. And that works out really nice. And then tokays is kind of interesting because they stick to everything. So either I can go ahead and stick them in, like, in my reptile incubator, it's just a mini Pepsi fridge, you know, and either I can okay. log in there, do whatever, and I can incubate them in there, or I can leave them with the parents, and actually, dad will guard the eggs, so it makes it so I can let them really? take care of them, yeah, so dad will actually guard the eggs, mom will get away, and he won't let me come near them, so it's kind of interesting, wow, yeah, but it kind of sucks when you're trying to tame out tokays, because the second you start introducing them into breeding, male defense her females and the females will keep you out because they're laying eggs now and then the male you know of course defends and blocks eggs from you going in there and screaming with them and it's like oh but I was handling you before I introduced you into this group you know so it kind of kind of right. sucks when it comes time to you know it's like oh I, I had came to pay you know <clears throat> they were always when I was growing up my dad always had those guys and they were not tame, but uh, they were cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But uh, always sounds like they're telling you to f off. You know, it's kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
That's actually what he what he liked about them. That's the thing he yeah. liked about them. <laughs> Guys always like things that say naughty words. I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah pretty much. Cool. Jesus. All right, Owen, I don't know. Do you want to hit on the, uh, the yeah, uh, we can closing that. questions and uh, we'll wrap up? Yeah, we'll hit on that. So, uh, Lance, the the closing questions are always the most interesting. Um, and the first one is, uh, if you could work with any species in the world without limitations of law or price tag, what would it be and why? Oh, boy. Um you know, it's always funny because, you know, you get these questions all the time, you know, like at trade shows or just talking with fellow, you know, herpers. And it's always something that we can't get. And then if we got it, we'd be like, this is dumb. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of them I've always wanted to work with um, is kind of more aquatic stuff, um, just anything in general. Like, you know, uh, it's not really reptile, but like a stingray would be so much fun to play with. Or like, you know, some of the – like a, a – I don't like venomous, but I love the sea coral snake. Like it's yeah. one of the top five most deadliest ones. I look at the thing and it's like that is amazing, but I'll die, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so cool. But I think but more be over soon. Yeah. I think a more realistic one that I'd love the chance to work with more and it's really yeah. hard because I'm in the northwest is doing like giant sulcatas, like stuff like that. Like we don't have the luxury to let them run around in our backyard. Um, you know, I talk to people right. in Florida, um, and of course, Florida, Arizona, California, like they're just like, oh, we just have a pen in the backyard, and they live there. Um, another one was um, I'm a military veteran, and I got a chance to play with uh, Egyptian neuromastics in okay. actually Iraq and Kuwait, and they were such a neat animal that, you know, I, and that's one I haven't been able to get. And I'm actually good friends with a guy that can get them, but I've just never been able to. But they're a giant neuromastic. It's like a, you know, a, a just, you know, it's like a, I don't know, three foot long neuromastic. They're really cool. Um, but ever since I got to play with them in the wild, I'm always like, God, I want to get some true Egyptian neuromastic. So most likely, if it's like you know something that I know won't kill me and stuff like that, I'd love to actually do some of the stuff you can do more outdoors. You know, like playing with sulcatas or playing with. Egyptian Eurymastics that are just too big. Um, another one, but, but I'm doing it, you know, like I'm kind of adapting, you know, an indoor enclosure so I can do bigger monitors, but it's just eventually you run out of room. And uh, Right. Yeah, I'd have to say realistically, I'd love to do more Delcatas and Egyptian Eurymastics, mainly just because I'd love to do an outdoor enclosure. That's cool. cool. Um, so next, if you could go field herping anywhere in the world without limitations, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? Boy, why do these sound like pageant questions? This is terrible. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, thank you and vote for me for Mr. America. You know, um, okay. Field herping. Boy, there's a lot of good countries. Um, you know, uh, you know some of the stuff that I actually have in captivity would be great to see in the wild. I know, like, Nick gets to do this a lot. Like, he goes to Australia, and it's like, look at me. I found a Darwin. It's like, screw you. I can't even have one of those things, you know? Yeah. Um, so Australia <laughs> would be a great one, you know, just to go. I mean, even if it's just to see a Queensland python in the wild, it would be great to see something like that. And Australia has a very diverse collection. Um, 
But, you know, another one here is in the Northwest. It's actually kind of nice because almost every reptile in the Northwest, there's not a lot of venomous ones. So it's kind of like pretty safe that you're not going to die playing with something that you're not 100% sure of. So that's kind of great. Like we have pygmy rattlers, but they're so far away that, you know, you can pretty much have everybody come out here and pick up stuff and lizards and some different snakes and not worry about it. But um, Indonesia would be another good one. Um, you know, seeing some of the stuff there, you know, they have a very diverse collection of stuff. But And then uh, Malaysia, like a friend of mine goes there quite often, and, uh, you know, he talks about seeing, like, giant, you know, uh, you know uh, water monitors just in the river right outside of town and cobra just kind of walking by and stuff Jeez. like that. It's great to see. But uh, uh, if, if there's one animal I want to see in the wild, as far as that goes, it would have to be the New Zealand greens, uh, the green geckos. I heard... They live right by, like, snowy climates and stuff like that. And, and I guess those things are, are really cool. So that'd probably be one just because I've never uh, never had one, of course. But, uh, yeah. That is cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? You got to throw out your website, uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so uh, of course uh, my website's gexra.com. I kind of got it down for construction, so if you go to it, it's not going to do anything. Um, but if you just go to Lance at under at yahoo.com or at gexra.com, um, you can go to that one. Plus, um, you know, people that are on Facebook or whatever, just friend me that way. And then of course, uh, gexware is uh, the you can access stuff from my website off of Facebook too. So most of the things that were on my Facebook um were also on the website. So very cool. cool. Yeah. Well, it's been uh <clears throat> awesome chatting with you about Maclots Pythons and uh the other yeah. stuff. But uh you know yeah. um just cool stuff man. You got uh, I posted yeah. up a pic of your setup from your Facebook page over in the uh in the NPR chat and uh man that's you ain't kidding that's a big water bowl. <laughs> oh uh, yeah yeah I think I mean <laughs> most people don't even house adult stuff in there. But yeah um I've actually got bigger water bowls now. I actually went to the feed store and got like drinking tubs for like oh, wow. and stuff and used those. So you know I've actually got bigger than that now. Um but yeah it whether or not like I said, whether or not that really works or just something that works for me. So kind of like a good luck charm where I'm just going to do it every time. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, if, if if people actually get that to work and do the water bowl thing, I'd love to hear about it. Or like uh, like the other guy said, you know, I didn't do anything. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, All right, man. That's cool. All right. Well. Again, I thank you for coming on and chatting with us. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. anytime, man. Just uh, yeah, give us definitely, a holler. Definitely. I was kind of nervous back. that I wasn't going to – yeah, I was saying I wasn't kind of nervous thinking I wouldn't be able to fill up some time for you guys. I was like, oh, I don't know what to talk about. But, you know, hopefully <laughs> nah, we're hopeful to somebody. Or, nah, we got – we can yeah. pack it in there. That's plenty of time. Cool deal. Plenty of stuff. Cool deal, cool deal. <laughs> yeah, I'm so used to people saying that to me. I think when I was going back and forth, uh, you know, when we were first messaging, that's, that's always the response I get. Like, how long is the show? That's uh, a couple hours. What? A couple hours? What the hell are we going to talk about? Like, How are we going to oh, talk man. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've been, yeah. You've got, been to a reptile show. Yeah. 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 
you just start talking reptiles. Next thing you know, it's two hours later. That's all. It's all good. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, so, all right, man. I appreciate it. Have a good night. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, have a good one. All right. Night, guys. Night. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, are you ready to uh, try to breed Maclots pythons? You still pumped up, Owen? Are we, are we, am um, I getting some excitement back out of you, my friend? You know? I'm terrified. I'm going to try, but uh, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> So, uh, water balls and uh, <laughs> pretty all much right. all that fun stuff. Cool, so. cool deal. All right, well, um, I guess uh, let's wrap this up. So next week, uh, we're gonna be joined by uh, Buddy Buscemi and uh, Bill yep. Siegel from DT Keeper Radio. Um, we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, uh, what it's, you know, chondros and carpets and rhino rat snakes and uh, maternal incubation and, uh, you know, all that stuff. They had kind of a kind of a debate going on over there on the show the other night about maternal incubation. So I, I have something saved up for Buddy. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> so that should be cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're 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 they're. Uh, they're going to come over and hang out with us and uh you know we're going to we're going to talk it up um and then uh like i said at the beginning we're trying to work on a, a liasis round table um you know you know how we do that where we have a bunch of different keepers come in uh it would be cool if we could get somebody from australia and uh somebody from uh keepers from the states so that you know we could kind of compare of how things are different yeah it you know? would be nice yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Uh, you know, I have all pythons and, uh, uh, that's, uh, they're one of my favorites, uh, that, uh, of the liasis group. Um, they're definitely, uh, definitely cool, cool snakes for sure. So, uh, <clears throat> any help in keeping them or breeding them, uh, would be, uh, greatly be much appreciate. appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right, so we got that coming uh, next week. Um, as for us, Morelia Python Radio, you can check out our website, moreliapythonradio.com. Uh, we have Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can uh, get in touch uh, in touch with us with our email at info at Uh You can check out the show on uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. You can subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, uh, just be sure to subscribe so that uh, you can uh, get it every time we do a new show. Um, yeah, that's it as far as that goes. What the hell are you doing? Hammering over there or what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Was, uh, I, zero's running around someplace, so I'll uh, figure him out in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, nice. You got you got dogs running around. I got dogs barking. What the heck, Owen? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Goddamn professionals. Yeah. So. yeah. Where do we get the new studio? We'll be all right. Uh, EB Morelia. EBMorelia.com. Uh, you can check out my website um, for any availability pairings and news. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with me, my email is eric at EBMorelia.com. Um, that's all I got. Cool. Uh, what I got is we have a few shows coming up. We have the Oaks show this Saturday. 
and the White Plains show on Sunday. I won't be vending, but if you are attending and want me to deliver something, that is totally fine. We'll do that free of charge. Uh, the next show I have is August 6th in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, and that's it. Uh, you can go on to Facebook.com, Rogue-Reptiles on Facebook. Look us up there, and we have a few animals for sale. More coming. So that's all we got. So we're going to say good night, and we're going to catch everybody back here for some more Raya Python radio. Good night. <laughs>